Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Joachim Eriksson. I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water, and I feel really good about this episode so far. I was just about to record, and I noticed that I was fidgeting with a wine opener, a wine key, because we're going to drink some sparkling water, and some of this is in glass bottles with a real cap on it, so you need a you need an opener. So I had a wine key and I was fidgeting with it in my hand and it was triggering all this stuff of how there are certain associations with tactile things, with smells, with physical movement, with ritual, and fidgeting with a wine key is definitely something I do when I'm like serving a bunch of tables and I'm stressed out and I'm focusing and it's like, oh, hot damn, when it gets spicy... Uh, that wine key, I'll just open, close, open, close, open, close the wine key. And I was doing it and I was noticing that it was putting me in the wrong headspace. Whereas the ritual that I have, the tactile ceremony that I have installed for myself when it comes to a sparkling water podcast is that I grab a lens wipe and... um wipe my glasses, and then I feel really focused and good instead of feeling like I'm... It's not that I feel bad when I'm serving and it's spicy, but it's not... You know, I'm on the clock. It's not... There is a higher form of being than the being we are at work. As much as I tried to really enhance my experience at work and with work and my relationship with work... There is something higher, and, and it involves wearing sweatpants, you know? So instead, I put the wine key down, and I walked across the room, and I got a lens wipe, and I and I am wiping my glasses, and we're good. Alexa, turn the fridge off. Okay. Oh, my God. Do you hear that? You hear that? You know what that is? That is perfect audio quality. So I have said that. Two or three times in this 107 episodes that I've recorded, <laughs> I've said that a couple of times where I'm like, wow, notice how silent it is and how perfect this audio quality is. And every time I say that, there's a horrible beeping noise for some reason because the, because of some like equipment malfunction all of a sudden that has never happened before and it just starts beeping. But not that I can hear it in real time, but like later when I listen back to it, it's like there's like a shrill, horrible noise in the background. So um, that's because our, our God is a vengeful God, you know? And that's, that's just how that goes. So uh, here's what I was going to start talking about. I, <clears throat> last episode of the podcast, I had so many thoughts that I wanted to think and unpack. And I had a couple of stories that I just wanted to tell and put on the record. And I was feeling very good about the thoughts and the stories, but the whole episode sucked so bad. And it fascinates me why. Because it's it's about voice. And somehow voice connects to feeling, and I don't know what it is. Um, I don't know. Voice. Like, you can take one story, and you can tell the story. I All my favorite novels are voice-driven, and the story of what happens is completely uninteresting but there's something about the voice that just puts 
flesh and blood and skin on the skeleton of the story and it makes it so that you really feel the presence of another human being because of the voice it's very strange it's very very strange and like i don't know the most famous book that's voice driven that everyone just knows about and it's forced to read in school is is um Catcher in the Rye. I almost said Holder in the Rye. <laughs> Holding Caulfield calls everyone a phony. And there's something about how he just talks in this like monotonous voice, like this personal, he's just a human being. So just now I was thinking about this, how like the problematic the last episode was because of voice. And I was thinking about books I like that are voice driven. And I was like, is Catcher in the Rye, the most famous voice-driven book. So I, I was going to Google voice-driven novels. <laughs> and then I, I write into Google, I write voice-driven. And then it autofills with voice-driven sewing machine. And I immediately, I never Googled voice-driven novel. I have no idea what the most, what the results are if you Google voice-driven novel. But instead, I Googled voice-driven sewing machine because it showed up on the screen. And apparently, the fucking Thomas Edison invented a sewing machine that was that was run on scream, <laughs> on screaming. You just scream into it. You put your mouth on a sort of trumpet-like cone, and you scream into the cone. And the scream is, is converted into like, a propellant, and it runs the sewing machine. So that's pretty fabulous. Imagine sewing, imagine wearing a piece of clothing that has been sewn using power from the screams of your, like your tortured enemies or something, or like, you know, yourself. Just like your all your worst moments, like a piece of clothing that you work on for 10 years, and all your worst moments, you just scream into the machine and you sew, a, like you sew the sleeve, you know, when your fucking mom dies. And then, you know, you're like, you're in a horrible car crash and your whole face is deformed and you, you scream a little bit more and you like sew the buttons on there. <laughs> I was, this is so funny. Oh, that's, I don't know. It's, I didn't, yeah, I don't know. How funny is that? And then after 10 years of like, a smattering of horrible things happen to you and and at the end of it you you have this article of clothing and you can wear it and it looks kind of weird because it was like worked on over such a long time that it's kind of like uneven and stuff and people are like oh that's a that's a funny looking zip up hoodie you're wearing there and then you can be like yeah and then you can tell the story of it it's like this was sewn during six different events of my life you know when my father got tuberculosis when my when my wife died in the fire, I lost everything except the sewing machine that runs on the screams. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, voice-driven novels. So all my favorite novels are voice-driven. Portnoy's Complaint, you know, Catcher in the Rye, all that shit. And it's just so crazy because... You can't, it doesn't matter how hard you work on it. Voice, if the voice is bad, you can work, you can work until you bleed. But the story will not be interesting. You can tell, and I'm not even talking about writing now. I'm not even talking about novels. I'm talking about podcasts. Um, you can, you can, 
God, why am I so up in arms about this? But so last episode, I just had these thoughts that I was really interested in and really wanted to unpack. And I had some stories that had happened that I really wanted to talk about that I thought were funny. But there was something about it. I just had a bad feeling in my stomach that I couldn't put my finger on. And it's interesting because... Part of it was that I had told Maddie some of the stories and that just eats away at me. Like the feeling of how I'm actually repeating myself. I just cannot get over that. And then it's all ruined. So I had told her some of the stories and I'm telling the stories on the podcast and I'm like, I just feel like a fucking phony the whole time. You know, I can just hear the, the holder in the rye voice echoing throughout the fucking 1950s um, stadium, football stadium of the game that you're not even watching because you're in the dorm with your friend in the bathroom and he's fixing his hair and he's real handsome, but he's a phony. That's how I remember Catcher in the Rye. I can't remember anything that happened in the book, but I think that there's a football game and they barely even go to the football game, even though it's like the big game and they're just in the fucking bathroom in their dorms. And I remember reading it as a Swede being so weirded out by this idea that like in America, you're paired up with a stranger and you have to sleep in the same room as a stranger. Captivating. (laughs) An absolutely captivating idea, you know? Just something so strange. So yeah, I was feeling, I just, I, I, I started over last week's episode multiple times because I felt like the voice just wasn't working, but starting over doesn't do anything. I famously, oh God, I cannot believe I just used the word famously there. So I famously wrote all these novels. In the universe of the podcast, I wrote all these novels in second person, meaning that the whole story was told um, in second person and that the main character was start to finish referred to as you. Meaning that, you know, page one, you wake up, you walk down the street, you walk into a broth kitchen, you order a bowl of noodles, the lady with the dirty apron refuses to serve you. A steaming vat of fucking noodles, blah, blah, blah. You look up at the TV, you see your own face. You know, the newscaster is saying that you're a piece of shit. The lady at the broth kitchen says, I'm not going to serve you because you you're, you were like, my mom's not going to be able to afford that surgery now, you know? You're a fucking piece of shit. Like, you knew what you were doing. And the whole time I, I r- write this story in second person because I think it's like something that makes sense. You walk, pa- chapter two, you know? Chapter two, you're a piece of shit. You walk, as I'm saying this now, I'm realizing that, um, the book was like set in the book is the books are set in China and they're really about politics and Chinese politics and the future of Chinese politics. And as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that you telling a story in you form and telling the entire story, including like describing what you were doing when you were alone, it really implies surveillance. It really like implies an incredible surveillance infrastructure on behalf of whoever's telling the story. So if the story is told from the perspective of the Chinese government, I am so thirsty right now. I'm, we might have to drink a water. If the story is told from the perspective of the Chinese government, then it really fucking makes sense to tell the story in you form. Because it's like, it can be this big reveal that the reason it, the whole thing can be in you form is that they're so funny. I still want to write a book in second person. 
You can hear it. You can tell it in my voice. I, I'm not over it yet. I am not over it. I still want to write a novel in second person. Oh, I've been playing too much chess. Whenever I like focus on anything and close my eyes, I just see chess moves. It's like my rooks, my two rooks are, you know, best bros forever protecting each other. Check. The king is in check. Okay. The king moves closer to my rooks. Okay. Um, I still want to write a novel in second person because it's so... Um, <laughs> it's so shitty and unreadable. I wrote entire books in second person and I made multiple people read the entire book in second person. And they were like, wow, really fascinating things you're working with here. But... But... It, it's unreadable because it's in second person. And then I um, cannot let go of it. And um, it took me literally 15 years not to write anything but to pick a voice. And I could literally write, you know, 40 pages, literally. That's such an annoying word to use in that sentence. I would find myself writing 40 pages uh, a day, but it's all useless until you find the voice. And then as soon as you find the voice that you actually like, and that you come back to and you find it that it still has life, it's, it's, it's much easier, but, but it's, um, it's also interesting. Uh, it's interesting how you don't know what more than with other stuff. Uh, I give up. I don't, I hate it. I hate everything about it. I'm never going to write anything again because you don't know if it's good. You live your like there it good doesn't exist is the problem. Good doesn't exist. You might get a couple people on your frequency for a little bit and they might think it's good and and so you can oh God, I'm disgusted with myself in this moment. But here's the thing. I feel really good about this episode because I just know what this voice is, that this episode is. Because you know why? Because voice is connected to feeling. It's that voice is really a different word for feeling. You can take a story and you can pick a feeling like anger, resentment, happiness, and you can write the exact same sequence of events through a lens of happiness or resentment or whatever it is. It's like the world's easiest thing. You can literally write a story, a sequence of events. Ten different things happen each thing leading to the next thing. And then you can just sit down as a writing exercise and for 30 days you can pick, you can just Google uh, 30 most common emotions and you get a list of 30 emotions and then you just go through the list 30 days in a row and you rewrite the whole 10, you know, 10 event sequence of events story each day. And it's so easy to be like, I'm going to tell the story resentfully. It's so easy to do because voice is emotion and we know what emotion is. And the problem is sometimes when you're really at the cutting edge, you're working with an emotion that you don't have a name for. And like the best stuff, the best art, every genre of art is told in a voice infused with an emotion that we don't have a word for. Like, that's the best stuff. The best TV shows, season one of True Detective, you know? Barry. Hey, 
watch the TV show Barry and tell me what emotion that voice is told in. And you'd be like, yes, it's a very, very clear emotion, and I have no idea what it is because it's so unclear. But the thing is that most of the time when you don't have a name for the emotion, it sucks. Most of the time when you make, like, it is the bravest thing to try, and it is the thing that can be worth the most, but it is also the thing that fucking never works unless you're, like, an incredible genius. And then that brings up this other question of, like, hey, is the act of trying to make art, is it the act of sort of toying with the idea that you might be a genius? Like, if you firmly know that you're just a good, regular person, shouldn't that mean that you shouldn't make art? You know? If you don't have, like, debilitating, pretentious hubris coursing through your veins, I don't know, whatever. What was I talking about? Yeah, so there's voice. And so this time, I just know what the voice is for this episode because this is just sadness. This is just good, old-fashioned sadness. Like really, really defined, clear sadness. And here, I just have everything that happened to me in the last seven days. I'm now going to tell it all to you through a very, very polished, crystal clear lens that is labeled with a not even a handwritten label. It's a professionally made label by a label maker. And the label says, garden variety sadness. And I'm sad because, because I haven't gotten enough sleep and because life is, is suffering, you know, because life is hard. Actually, I hate the phrase life is suffering because it's kind of a mistranslation that gets attributed to like one of the five dharmas of Buddhism and shit. And it's like such stupid white people bullshit such stupid white people, um, yeah, you know, it's a misunderstanding. Hey, 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 let's leave the white people alone. Let's not, let's not pile it on with the white people. The white people are fine. Ain't nothing wrong with white, white people never did anything wrong. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Backing up, back, 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 backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. Okay. I just want to go on the record and say that white people did a lot of things wrong. Um, I'm so thirsty. We're going to have to drink water right now. First one here. Ooh, three really good ones. We're doing grapefruit. We're doing a pompal episode. No added sugar, no preservatives. But this is something crazy. Sparkling grapefruit. It's an Izzy. It's, you might say this is soda. I don't care. I'm so thirsty right now. You know, one man's trash. You can, you can lead a man to another man's trash, but you can't make him drink it. Ooh. Grapefruit. Yeah, that's absolutely delicious. That's the stuff they... Excuse me, I had too much liquid in my mouth while I was talking there. Ooh, that's the stuff they sell at Chipotle. Delicious. Um, also, that was a malaphor. I was reading about this yesterday. Malaphor is when you mix metaphors. It's time to step up to the plate and lay your cards on the table. We'll burn that bridge when we get there is, is one that people actually say. You know, I can read him like the back of my book. It's so funny. I found all these funny ones yesterday, and then today I can only find really boring ones. But whatever. Yeah, I feel sad and life is hard. Where do we start? 
there's so many different good things. So my uncle is visiting. My uncle is visiting in Grass Valley for the first time. He's never come up here before. Always so much to say. So interesting. Him and his ex-wife. How much, what can I say about this? Part of it is definitely just good old-fashioned, like, um, there's a Seinfeld episode about colliding universes. George doesn't like his wife to hang out with his friends because he's like two different people with those people. And that has always been a big problem for me, probably a bigger problem than other people because I just was more fake than, like, I just think I was less good at just being a human and more, I don't know, like, well, what's the issue? How do I, I don't know. I I have it on good authority that it's a bigger problem for me than other people, aka my therapist in Seattle, Tyson, he told me that I'm fucked up because of that. He listened to me for a year and he was like, your problem is disintegration. You need to make integration your goal. Become one person. And somehow I picked that up and ran with it because I feel like it's such a poetic, cool guy problem to have. So I was like, ooh, that sounds like a pretty cool problem to have. I guess I'll pretend to have that problem. I guess I'll fake this and pretend to have that problem. Unknowingly actually has the problem, suffers a lot. <laughs> Pretends to work on the problem because it sounds cool. Does not actually work on the problem, suffers. You know? That fine line of how it's like feels good to suffer, but also... What if we didn't have to suffer? So yeah, anyway, my uncle came and visited and and it's so interesting and they're so, they're in their 70s and one of the things, and I think I can say this without offending anyone, people in their 70s, there is a way to be a 70-year-old where you're, you get to be kind of a pill when you're, when you're, when servers are dealing with you, when service staff of in any format is dealing with you. Because you're like, you've gotten to that point where you don't give a fuck anymore, so you just say it. And when people are like, yeah, we can't actually get you on this flight, you're just like, I want you to get me on this flight. And it's like, oh, so direct. Oh, so direct. Like, could you sugarcoat it a little bit? Could Like, she's clearly not, doesn't have enough power to solve this problem, and she's doing her best. And like, oh, can we just relax a little bit? And then... I have had to develop this disembodied state when we when we go to IHOP, I drive down and see them and we go to IHOP and then they give they make the servers run around and I have to just sit there and it's so hard for me to not suffer because I see everything from the perspective of the server. But um I've developed this disembodied state and then so here, check this one out. Now they're coming to Grass Valley. They're going to, they're staying at, they're staying there right now. They're staying at the hotel where I live and they are eating in the restaurant every single meal. And all of my coworkers are serving them. Ooh, Augustina, 
Augustina, um, the fuck, Augustina came at me on Monday night when, no, to, yeah, Monday night they come over, they have dinner. No, they have talks in the afternoon. She's their server. I show up to work and, uh, she comes up to me and she's like, yeah, so she's like praying on me. She keeps praying on me and she keeps saying that she's going to get my demons out. <laughs> And I was like playing, I was playing along and I was like, yeah, well, maybe you have a bunch of demons, bro. Like, cause I have no other way of dealing with it. Like I cannot control someone who's in their seventies who does not give a fuck about anything. Like someone who's beyond caring what people think, who just wants, they just want to say their piece and be crazy and be old and eccentric. Like I don't have any power here. These are people who have watched 10 hours of Fox News every single day for 40 years. Like, I, we are all on separate islands here. So I'm just playing along. And then London walks in and Augustina comes back another time and she's like, she prayed on me again. She's saying she's going to get my demons out. And I'm just like, I'm there with London and Augustina and I just want to get ahead of it. So I'm just like explaining to London, yeah, like this is my aunt. And she's like a little bit of a Jesus freak. And and maybe you have demons in you. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, not that funny to me, actually. Very stressful. And they're still here. They have had a total of, they had tacos in the afternoon yesterday they had breakfast there this morning they're served by all of my coworkers, and then i haven't even heard all the stories from my coworkers yet and then i know it's now evening i dropped them off they were kind of tired so they were going to chill for a bit and then maybe come down and have dinner and i was just going to go home and we're going to have hang out tomorrow so i just have to sit here knowing sitting alone at my house knowing that they are living at holbrook until tomorrow and tonight they are going to go down and they are going to be really difficult and they're going to self-seat they're not going to wait for the host to seat them they're going to ask for the wrong menu they're going to ask for tacos tacos are not available actually it's taco tuesday so it might be all right they're going to just my uncle's going to have too many of our 11 percent triple ipas the whole thing is going to the whole thing stresses me out so bad it stresses me out so bad because I'm not in control of the narrative. Like, at least when I was there, I, my face got so red, but at least I could be there and be part of the narrative and control it and just admit to it. But when I'm not there and it's just like my three coworkers talking about me in third person when I'm not there about how my family is crazy. I don't know, but isn't it kind of cool to have crazy family, though? Like, is it truly embarrassing? Why am I? I think, in a way, I shouldn't be embarrassed about it. It's just family, you know? And also, I'm throwing out all these excuses. Ten hours of... Dude, ten hours is an understatement, too, because it's really like you wake up... You turn on the TV and watch a little bit of Fox News in bed before waking up, which is actually really reminiscent of people who are the highest level of stoner, where you cannot get out of bed or even open your eyes. Like I've known a lot of stoners who they they wake up and then their hands, before they open their eyes, their hands go over to the nightstand where they have a little bit of doobie, doobie material and a little bit of rolling papers. And they just like roll one up with their eyes closed as they're waking up. 
And then they're just, their hand looking at the nightstand. I mean, looking around on the nightstand, searching for a lighter. And then they just like, light a doobie before opening their eyes. And then as the doobie, the, the smoke enters the glass bottle of the soul, um, vape Olympics, they can then open their eyes. And then that's how we're doing it. And we're going. And then you just keep smoking weed all day. And then you go to bed and you, in bed, you smoke weed and then you fall asleep. Highest form of, t- highest premium type of stoner, right? And then the Fox News thing is the same. My uncle wakes up, uh, doesn't open the eyes, just hand searching on the nightstand for the remote, turns on Fox News. And when Tucker Carlson gets into a good, like when he hits a nice stride about the fucking caravan and the fucking... You know, the vaccine, the, the great reset is probably happening in October. So we better we better hit Bank of America today and just pull out cash, dollars, because Bank of America and all the banks are the great reset. It's coming. And like the caravan, and it's probably because the U.S. blew up the pipeline and in the waters outside of Sweden. And, and we know that that happened because they just didn't exercise. Dude, the conspiracy people are obsessed with like where the military just did exercises. It's like... Oh, something happened here and the military just did an exercise there. Little do they know that America has military bases literally everywhere. And all of those people are always working and doing exercise. Like, so Tucker Carlson hits a good groove. My uncle can finally open his eyes. And now we're going. Now we're going to the living room, turn the TV on, Fox News, you know, the five. Greg Gutfeld, you know, Judge Janine Pirro, <sighs> the caravan, everyone from Pakistan is a terrorist. They're coming from everywhere. The terrorists are coming from everywhere. China, Pakistan, I don't know. Has there ever been a terrorist from China, like a Han Chinese terrorist? I think I think it's zero. I think there are zero Chinese terrorists. They do a different thing. They spy for the Chinese Communist Party. You know, there's this annoying misunderstood line in conspiracy in the conspiracy world now which is like we are not we're a republic not a democracy and it's like it's like oh god there's this entire thing about that and then this entire other layer in the serious reality where people are like no nah, that's actually not what they meant when they said these sentences in the founding documents and like this is how the what the words mean I and mean, this complete non-understanding of the actual literal meaning of the words has led to this like annoying weird movement in the conspiracy world and my aunt literally said that sentence today she's like this is a republic, not a democracy. And then I have to like go into this like, well, I read on Quora. I read on Medium, a long form, actually. Oh, I read a fourth. It was a 22-minute read. Oh, about the actual meaning of the word. And I don't say anything anymore. I just, I have actually gotten pretty good at it. I've gotten pretty good at just, it's the act of pushing yourself away from the table. Now, I wasn't sitting at a table, but I mean metaphorically. It's like there's a table. The table is the discussion, and when it comes, I don't bite. I just, there's a plate. They put a plate in front of me, 
and it's got spare ribs and it's got house-made cornbread and someone has cut a slit into that cornbread and it's steaming hot and they stuff it full of agave butter and there's some shishito peppers on the side and they are blistered and they hit them with some sea salt and it is a perfect plate of food and I just put my hands on the edge of the table and I just push myself away from the table. I'm not going to eat. I have spent you know, 10,000 hours listening to liberal podcasts, and I could eat this plate of food. And the food in this metaphor is a political conversation, but I'm not going to do it, Daddy, because Daddy is busy, you know? And in that malaphor, I'm both, both me and the opponent are both Daddy, you know? Uh, So I've gotten pretty good at it, and I actually didn't engage with any political conversations. And my uncle... There was a moment, my uncle is staying in room seven at the Holbrook. Beautiful, beautiful room. Exposed brick on an entire wall. The other walls are painted white brick with these like beautiful paintings, like blueprints of bridges, like original old blueprints or like hand illustrated um, images of of, uh, horse skeletons. And then like beautiful chests and beautiful wood-carved drawer, just incredible uh, interior design. And they are sort of appreciating it, and that's very good. And there was a moment when we were in room seven, and and it was just him and me, and when it's just him and me, maybe he thinks it's a little bit hard to keep up, to, to just maintain conversation with me, and then he relies on politics, and I didn't do it. I didn't do it. He was like, student debt, like, if you take out a loan, you gotta pay it back. Why don't they pay back your car loan? If a plumber buys a car for his plumbing business and takes out debt, why don't they pay back the debt for the car? And I'm just like, no. No. Push away from the table. Push away from the table. Push away from the table. And then I lead it into... Reality, him, me, real life. I have student debt. I studied in Sweden. He's like, in Sweden, we don't do it like that. In Sweden, we do it like that. I have student debt. I studied in Sweden. Tuition was free. I still got 25 grand of debt. And he's like, how do you pay that off? And then that gives, when I bring it back to reality, to things from our actual lives, it it opens it up so we can, it gives him an out. It's like an off-ramp. The theoretical politics that's so uncomfortable to talk about is like this information superhighway that hurts everyone's brain. And then when you bring it down to real life and something in your own life, then that's just like an off-ramp where you can be like, oh, like, how do you pay? You still have student debt, like Swedish student debt. Like you live in America, but but they, so how do you pay? Do you pay that with American money or Swedish money? And then I can be like, yeah, my grandmother gave me a little bit of money. So I got like a 10 rack sitting in an account in Sweden and I just auto pay you know, every quarter I pay like 300 bucks to some student debt. And we talk about money. His mom passed away, you know. She actually randomly had a 16 rack for some reason. We don't even really know why she had some money. But the bank wants all this paperwork before they give out any money. And, you know, talking about his mom. His mom passed away. I haven't seen him since his mom passed away. You know, real stuff. The things that we arguably should talk about. But one thing that was interesting, actually, with seeing my uncle is this this is a very universal feeling. The feeling of, so my uncle is, he's my only blood relative in this country, right? And also so funny, he married, he married this Mexican lady, right? She's awesome. 
little bit of a Jesus freak. I really love her. She's so awesome. And she's got some kids. She's got some stepkids. She's got all these sisters. She's got all these friends. Basically, 90% of my family in this country, the family he moved into, moved, no, not moved into, uh, married into is the phrase I meant. Um, Most of my family in this country is Mexican, (laughs) which is like, it's, uh, uh, I was going to say it's a weird flex, uh, but it's more like, I don't know how to say that to people, so I never say that. Uh, And then they show up at the hotel. And this Mexican lady's like, I'm Joachim's aunt. And then all my coworkers, it was so funny. Miguel was like, a lot of people were really happy about it. Miguel, you know, he's half Mexican. Uh, Stephanie, she might be 100% Mexican. You know, all these people were like, this fucking annoying white boy, at least, at least there's a Mexican lady out there who says she... She's her aunt. And then me and Miguel are like, yeah, bro. <laughs> so fucking funny. Oh, God. Joaquim, you know? <laughs> oh, God. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm... I don't know what the point is, but here's what I was going to say. My uncle is my only blood relative in this country, so especially since I moved down to California, I am trying... I'm crowbarring him into the role of becoming a little bit of a father figure to me. As much as he's a fucked up character, he can barely take care of himself, he is not sober. Um, I'm just, I just want someone to check in with and bounce ideas with. And I tried to bounce ideas with him about mm, when there was a little bit of a pregnancy scare. I tried to bounce ideas with him about money. Like, should I buy property? Should I not buy property? What is money? How do you make money? What should I be doing? What's like, you're in your 70s. You should have some wisdom. As much as you, you know, as much as you think that there's going to be a great great reset in October and all the banks are going to fall apart, still, tell me what you think and I'll listen to it and I'll try to like unskew the polls, you know? I'll try to uncrazify what you're saying and draw out the little, the little fucking fragments of wisdom behind all this like conspiracy nonsense. Um... So I've been talking to him about jobs, and so I remember like a year ago, I sent him a picture of me just behind the bar at Holbrook, and it's a nice-looking bar, it's a beautiful bar, it's a, it's an ancient fucking built-in-1850s fucking bar, and it looks real nice, and I was dressed up, and I just sent him this picture, and he's like, yeah, that's a cool photo, but, but he, I remember the phrase he used, because we're texting, so in texting, sometimes when you text and you really care, like really sort of poorly written phrases get a lot of weight and value to them. And I remember that the phrase he used that really stuck with me because it hurt my feelings is he used the phrase, doesn't make a lot of sense though. That's what he said. Doesn't make a lot of sense though. Because he's like, he thinks I'm a smart guy and I have a couple of college degrees and I should get a real job and make good money and have some real shit. And here I am in a restaurant. So he's like, doesn't make a lot of sense though. And that hurt my feelings and I didn't want, and I couldn't argue with it and I don't think I, I don't know. I know I argued with it for sure, but not a lot because I don't think I can win that argument because it's a good point. 
doesn't make a lot of sense though. But so then there's this universal feeling of like you try to pursue a path because you enjoy the path or it's like your passion or something. And then people always think it's like a stupid path. You have this person you look up to, this like father figure type person. You know, this is something that a lot of stand up, like I, we all listen to a lot of stand up comedian podcasts, right? And every stand up comedian who has a podcast and you're listening to it has some amount of success. And they all have this story where like their parents were like, bro, like you can't, like don't, you're putting too many eggs in the stand up comedy bas basket. Like, can you do that on the weekends and get a real job? And then people just like do the circuit and just get paid, you know, 50 bucks a night driving around the country, barely, barely enough money for food, suffering just because they love stand-up and they do stand-up and blah, blah, blah. And then 15 years into the career, they make it onto like Johnny Carson and then their dad, their fucking Asian dad or their Republican white dad or whatever the dad character is in the story, they get a call from the dad and the dad says something that's like, these characters are always elliptical. They never speak directly. It's always these phrases where they they say things unclearly and we just derive the meaning from it indirectly. And so at some point in the story, there's always a phone call where the, the person clearly has now accepted that you did this path and they've accepted that there is some modicum of success on this past path that they in the past viewed with some derision. You know, they look down on you for choosing this path, but now you've made something good on this path. So it's fine. So now I had a little bit of that feeling where like they came to visit and they are staying at the hotel and they, they would just sit in the lobby, which in itself was the, almost the act that I was, that of, of what's the word approval, just sitting in the lobby showing that they just thought the lobby was nice as fuck. Just sitting in the lobby was almost the act of approval. And then I'm feeling so many things at the same time because on one hand, I'm like, it's so, they're so, I'm so stressed at these weirdos and they're fucking waving at Augustina to come over and serve him more beer. It's like so, like rudely waving. It's like, oh God, at least they're tipping properly. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> and I just say that out loud to everyone to calm myself down. I'm like, okay, if people tip enough, they can act weird, right? just wanting people to agree that it's fine that my fucking family is weird and rude. But so I'm on one hand, I'm like so stressed out that all my coworkers are around and that they're there and my worlds are colliding. But on the other hand, it's like they just kept complimenting everything and being very positive. And they never said, oh, this, they never said, hey, that thing I said where I said doesn't make a lot of sense though. That thing I said I take that back. You know, you never get to that point where they say it like that, where it like the conversation is actually had firsthand directly. You never have conversations directly with a father figure, you know? But instead it's like, he just thought it was cool. He just thought it was cool. He just thought it was cool that I was managing a little bit of a thing and that people came to me for things. And and then I noticed the feeling in myself because I always have to overthink everything, right? So then I noticed that feeling in myself of like his approval making me feel good. And then I immediately get suspicious of that. And I'm like, am I wasting my talents on some bullshit here because I'm drunk on this feeling of approval? Because it like looks good and sounds good to like wear a fucking button up shirt and have people come to you 
because yeah is this bullshit like is this fucking stupid actually is this stupid and I'm just not noticing because I think it might be is this stupid and I'm just not noticing but I don't think so I was worried about it and then yeah switching gears there's a different story where like I was um when I was offered this job and stuff now I'm switching to this voice that I don't like where I'm like careful and I don't know how much I can talk about it but but when I was uh, let's talk about it like this health insurance in America is crazy and I've talked about that many times right so you never know what a health care procedure is going to cost until nine months after you have the procedure. The whole system is broken, right? We can all agree. Least controversial statement I've ever made. But so then, um, as I'm offered this job, it's like part of the benefits is health insurance. And I don't know what that means, if I'm being honest. I don't know what that means. Does that mean that Here's two things it could mean. It could mean that instead of going on coveredca.org and buying and filling out a bunch of forms and doing what's called buying healthcare on the open exchanges, instead, I will, through my employer, have access to some back-end healthcare options where I go in there and it's subsidized by my employer and I pay a different price and the, the prices are lower than on the open exchanges because it's subsidized by my employer. Or the way people say it is like, we buy, we pay for your health insurance. That's how they say it. So, what does that mean? We pay for your health insurance. So I, and then they they keep saying we pay for your health insurance, and then they keep being like, oh, me buying health insurance for this employee costs this much, and they throw out these numbers, very high numbers, and so I'm like, okay, okay, taking it with a grain of salt, you know, okay, fine, but it's like. I don't know what it means, and then also I, when I was offered the job, I was sent all these documents describing the offer and the different benefits. Each type of benefit had like a PDF explaining what it was, and the PDF explaining the healthcare was just two tables. <laughs> it was the most hilarious, not self-explanatory document I've ever seen, and I just decided to not ask because I'm so bitch, because I'm complete bitch. But also, I just, it wasn't a huge part of the decision, but it was a little bit of a part of the decision. But the, the, the PDF is just two blue colored tables with just a bunch of numbers in them. And each, there's two of them. And the left one is called gold something, something, something. And the left, the right one is called silver something, something, something. And both of them say employee contribution, zero dollars. And then I look at it, and my first question is like, if they both cost the employee zero dollars, why would there be two of them? Why would who would why would anyone pick silver? Because like health insurance policies are definitely ranked by how good they are by you know platinum, gold, silver, bronze, and these are very very well defined concepts, and there's no like fudging with that like a gold policy is always better than a silver policy this is like that's not something that's unclear in any way so when you have one that's gold and one that's silver and they're both cost the employees zero why would anyone pick silver so i'm looking at them and the numbers are good very good like it's just like a bunch of really low numbers for what different things cost but nothing is explained and 
it's just two tables and there are almost exclusively numbers in these tables. Just a bunch of numbers. Like 70-year-old, 60-year-old, 50-year-old, $100, $50, you know, $40, 30%. And like no words to explain what any of the numbers mean, right? So I'm looking at this and it's like I'm laughing. I'm, I literally remember looking at it very closely and like Googling a bunch, trying to figure out like, is there anything here that can be explained? And I, I actually, and also looking back on it, I actually think I understood that document very, very well, even though it had no words on it. It was just numbers because I, I am a little bit of a health insurance policy, healthcare politics nerd. So I am a little bit fluent in the language of the different things, but I was confused by why are they both $0 for the employee. And then fast forward a month. So I assumed that health insurance was completely free is what I thought, meaning that my employer is going to pay for the whole thing and I'm going to get something that's worth a couple of hundred bucks. So when I'm weighing the different options, the job I have, the job they're offering me, the job I already have, the job they were going to offer me going forward. I'm weighing it and I'm calculating how much I'll make in the two different paths. And I'm weighing it as in the situation I have right now, I buy health insurance on the open exchanges for 200 bucks, or in this new job, I pay $0 and I get good insurance. And then I pick a promotion and I pick this path. And then fast forward a month, I'm signing up for health insurance through my employer. And lo and behold, I get there and there's a gold plan and a silver plan. And one is like 200 bucks a month and one is 150 bucks a month. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I misunderstood this and I thought it was free. And I sit there at 1 a.m. looking at these and I'm comparing and I open the PDFs and I compare the benefits line by line and I do a very close reading of it and I'm very disheartened and annoyed that I didn't ask and that I'm actually, because if I pay 200 bucks a month and I thought I was going to pay zero, that's equivalent to like me making $2,000 less than I thought I was making, basically, you know? That's how math works. So I'm sitting there at 1 a.m. annoyed with myself, comparing, but being like 2,000, it doesn't break any bank. You know, it's fine. I can still just do this. I'll just be a little bit disgruntled in my whole life and a little bit, you know, disappointed in myself for not asking and maybe even in my employer for not just being incredibly charitable to me more than I thought. And I just thought it sounded like it was going to be free and I'm sitting here and I'm being disappointed and I was like pissed. And then the next chapter of the story is that a few days later, we're getting very close to the deadline. And there was, when I did like a really close line by line reading of the two PDFs, the gold and the silver version, one is 200 bucks, one 150 bucks a month. Um, there are things that, that aren't totally clear because it's a little bit of a summary. And I, it's not a very comprehensive sort of policy document. So I actually strike up a conversation with my boss and ask with London and ask like, what do you think this means? And I show her the two documents. Like, I'm like, is this paying towards the deductible or not? And then she like has the sort of explanation for it. And I, it's pretty close to her. It's just like a common sense explanation for having a pretty good understanding. And God damn it. I love that woman. Cause her and me, like we have such a similar, we are so weirdly different. Like on a Super superficial level, you could think that we are actually very similar because we try both to be sort of like 
we try to respect the good things in life and we try to have good experiences, meaning AKA we're like both foodies and we're a little bit fancy and we try to be a little bit cool and all that stuff. But we're actually like you scratch the surface the tiniest bit and we're actually extremely different. Like we are completely different. But then when you punch all the way through all those layers of us being different at some deep, deep, very core at the very bottom to like the things that feel most central to me, like everything we say actually sounds and it's actually very different. But then there's some weird at the very, very most core level where again, we're very similar. So we had this healthcare conversation where I realized that like oh, we've spent the exact same amount of time thinking about this and we know exactly the same amount about healthcare. <laughs> and it's a very funny amount because it's like this sort of like savvy young person amount where you, you kind of have to work, you kind of have to learn a bit about it because it's not a very friendly environment. So to not be eaten alive, you kind of have to learn a lot. So we have both decided to sort of invest quite a bit of time and effort into understanding these concepts, you know, what the fuck is a deductible, you know, and not in a way where we had to learn it because our, you know, my mom was dying and, and then those people with a fucking breathing through a ventilator, they know what a deductible is, but like being a healthy person and having like a really sort of granular understanding of, you know, healthcare billing is, <clears throat> it takes a little bit of homework. You have to sit down and be deliberate takes a little bit of sobriety of mind. But so we have this conversation. And then right at the, as the conversation is ending and she has explained to me the difference between the gold and the silver, she says this, <laughs> this thing that like changed my entire week, which she just tacks on at the end of the whole conversation. She goes, but I don't understand why anyone would pick silver because, I mean, they're all zero. And then I'm like, what did you just say? <laughs> Wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to let you finish. But what did you say? They're all zero because they're not zero for me. And then I'm like, she's like, no, but you pay zero. And then like the company pays everything monthly. Like the the company pays the monthly deductible. And I'm like, okay, but not me though. Like, <clears throat> and then we try to unpack it. And I'm like, is it, is it, I'm like asking her like, is it zero to you because you're the GM and it's not zero to me because I'm just like a basic manager. And then she says like, well, I mean, it has to be zero for you because that's what we offered you. And I just feel so vindicated <laughs> because that's what I thought they offered me. You know what I mean? Like I, to the best of my ability, tried to absorb the offer documents that they sent me. And my interpretation of them was that zero means zero. So I thought this, so then very just randomly like we had this conversation so randomly and if we hadn't had it my whole i would have lost so much money and my way of living life is that when i encounter these stressful difficult things i clam up and i avoid and i absorb and i sit at 1 a.m. and I think about it and I suffer and I do it alone and I choose this path of loneliness and I do not reach out and I do not ask for help and I do not ask questions. I just Google and I, I Google the ungoogleable, you know? You cannot Google, what did that guy say to me in that room, you know? That question is ungoogleable. But that's what I Google. At 1 a.m. I ruminate on, what did he mean with what he said to me? 
and I ruminate on it and I Google it and I get nothing. You know? I just get a news article and a porn website. And then I read the news to avoid my feelings and then I masturbate to, fe- to avoid my feelings. Okay, TMI. But anyway, so then it's discovered that it's zero and then I that I should be paying zero and that there's actually a technical error on the website making it so that I have to pay 200 or 150 or something. I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Maybe they were like, oh, but he has to pay. Like, And they were like, but we offered him zero. And then, like, but it's supposed to be 200. And they're like, but we offered him zero. And then someone really stood up for me. And now I have health insurance and it, it costs me zero dollars a month. And I feel... I had such a like roller coaster with it because I had really plotted it out, the math of it, and I was feeling good about the financial outcomes of it, but at the same time, it was precarious. Like I'm not making, I'm making just enough for this to be worth it because this, the next three months of my life are about to be suffering, but it's going to be cool suffering and it's going to be suffering with the people I love. And I'm going to grow a lot and I'm going to learn a lot, but it's going to be suffering. So for suffering to be worth it, you do need a little bit of money. And then I was really feeling like it's a precarious amount of money that there, it's not, yeah. So when I was suddenly feeling like, oh, so I make two grand less than I thought, I was feeling pretty bad about it. And then when it all came back, I was feeling really good about it. Or no, I was back to feeling okay about it. (laughs) Fuck Anyway, there's another chapter to another money thing. Let's just stay on the topic of money. I had this thing I talked about last week. (laughs) First of all, oh, God. (laughs) You know what's so funny? Nah, it's not that funny, actually. Um, Tristan was telling me how she was broke, and then I was being like, oh, well, you know what happened with my bank account? And then she just held up a hand and said, stop, 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 stop. I already know. And then I looked at her and I, I was like, oh, yeah, right. You already know. And then she's like, yeah, it's it's weird. It's weird, but I already know. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, it is weird, but it's my fault that it's weird. But you already know. And she's like, yeah. I mean, I often feel weird about it. but Because I, I already know everything. And I'm like, yeah. That's what it's like when you have a podcast and one person listens to it. That person is going to feel weird about it. So, um, yeah, as you, I was going to say you and Tristan, but maybe it's only Tristan listening to my voice now. So as you already know, Tristan, last week, let's, oh my God, now the podcast is in you form. Okay. Second person. So, uh, you were standing in the server station and I was standing next to you and I was saying, you know what happened to my bank account? And you were like, um, I already know I listened to your podcast. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay, yeah. Parasocial. Maddie taught me the word parasocial. That's the name for this. It's a one-way friendship. Um, What happened with my bank account is that I was trying to shut down my company bank account, and they inadvertently shut down my personal bank account. So all of my money – this happened today after payday – all of my money was – withdrawn and put on a check and mailed it to me. So suddenly all of my money is in limbo and I don't have a bank account. (laughs) So I have to go to the bank. 
open a new bank account and wait for a check to arrive in the mail. Two weeks later, I get the check. And then here's the like little chair. They inadvertently did it. I didn't ask them to do it. They made a mistake. <sighs> so upsetting. Then the cherry on top is that then the, they, I do get the check in the mail. I just, it arrives. It looks like it's going to be a check. I open it. It's a check. And then I try to, I get my phone out. You know, it's late at night. I work until late at night. I get off work. I take my phone out. I open the Bank of America stupid app and I go to the check deposit thing and I enroll in the whole thing because it's obviously a bunch of buttons. They can't just make it easy, obviously, because these are the worst. Like these banks attract the worst UX designers in the world anyway. So then I go to deposit this check and then it's my own money. I just want to put it back in my own account that you shut down that I had to then reopen because you couldn't undo your shutting down of my account. And then I go to deposit it and it's like error message. It's like, no. And the error message is so infuriating because the error message is, your account is brand new. So there's a limit to how, so you can only deposit $2,500 at a time. That's your check deposit maximum limit. Now, Weird flex, backdoor flex. Now, I'm not going to tell you how much money it was, but you know that it's more than $2,500. Because your boy gets some bags, you know? Ugh, God. Because I'm very focused on bags, you know? Bags and racks. Oh, God. I'm insufferable. I should be, I should be fired from this podcast. Um, Yeah. So then today I had to go to the bank physically to deposit the check because they're too fucking annoying to let me deposit it on the app because they think that my account is new even though I've had an account with them for like five years. And then, no, that's not true. It's, but older than three months. But, um, <laughs> and then I'm like hanging out with my aunt and my uncle and as I'm about to go to the bank. Also... I call them, and when they deleted my bank account, they also deleted everything in the app and all my history. So not only can I not, I not only do I not have a bank account, I don't even know about transactions to it. So I don't, it's hard for me to like recreate and redo everything because I don't remember everything that was connected to it. So I have to call them and ask for statements. Just calling the bank. Dude, what is worse than calling the bank? And you can't get through like the robots. The robot just wants you to do it on the voice and asks for your account number. I'm like, bro, you, the robot, how do I explain to the robot that you guys closed my bank account? So I don't, I don't have an account number. Like, just let me talk to a person. Such a crotchety old person complaint to and be annoyed with uh, <laughs> call centers. Let's just go with it. So anyway, I managed to call them and I get, and I asked them for three months of st statements and they apologize. And the guy says, hey, I'm sorry we made a mistake and closed your bank account. I'm going to get you three months of statements. Normally that costs money. I'm going to waive the fee. If there, a fee shows up anyway for these statements, call us back and we'll waive the fee. And I'm like, guy, this is, guy, I know from how you're saying this, that this is not going to work. And it's not going to work. You're going to charge me for it. But I, I, what am I going to say that to him? I'm going to be like, bro, I don't trust you in this moment. 
I don't trust you. You sound like a cheater. So instead, I just have to go with it. And I have to just be like, okay, fine. And then I get my three months of statements in the mail. And then I check my account and it's like, yeah, they charged me 15 bucks. So then now I'm going to the bank to ask for my $15 back and to deposit my check that I cannot deposit in the app and to ask them to close the account that I asked them to close that they didn't close that this whole thing started with. So I'm going into the bank to do three things. And I'm hanging out with my aunt and my uncle. And as I'm going in, my aunt is like, okay, we got to pray on this. And so she like mumbled all these like Catholic prayers about the Lord and like protect this man and take and have all of his angels come down and sit on his shoulders as he walks up to the counter at the Bank of America and have all of his angels go back and go down into the heart of the teller and have all of his angels sit on the sit on the corner of the shoulder of the sit on the pen and hold up the pen and have the angels pick up the pen and fill out the deposit slip and have all of his angels protect and have all of his angels lift the glasses and have all of his angels polish the glassware of the fucking the glasses so that the teller can see so that the teller doesn't make mistakes so that the teller can see the computer screen have all of his angels computer screen have all of his angels polished and marble of the counter at the bank of america have all of his angels and so i'm like uh, thank you. Thank you for that. I'm going to go into the bank now. You guys just chill in the car, okay? And so I go in, and everything is fine, and the lady apologizes, and she gives me a 15 bucks back. And actually, every time they apologize to me, I actually feel better, because there is something about the humanity of it. And this is actually a question for the AI community and stuff. Like, as the AI gets better, and the AI does everything, and we don't have people we can talk to on the phone, and the AI is doing everything... When mistakes happen and I need a, an apology, I it will it will be the AI has to be really fucking good for me to give a shit about an AI apologizing to me. I'm going to tell you that right now. The way it feels when these people actually apologize, because as someone who works for a business and we make mistakes sometimes, and I have to apologize, and I I have to say I actually do mean it. Like when you're a person who cares about your job. A little bit. One of the sort of knock-on effects of caring about your job is that when you, when your job creates problems for someone and you then apologize for it, you actually mean it. And those people then usually realize that you mean it. And it actually feels good. Because in the end, we have this thing where we hate corporations and businesses and stuff. But really, a business is just a group of people trying to do stuff for other people for money. It's really people all the way down. Like the whole thing is peopled. You know, like we like to think of corporations as faceless, but they're really faceful. They got, they're full of faces. You feel me? So, um, hour and seven minutes in, we're ripping. We're, we're firing in all, on all syllables, like Crystalia always says. So, um, <laughs> so I, uh, thank my aunt for blessing me. Blessing this check that I have endorsed on the back. I've put my signature on the back. You must not forget. And I go in and I fill out the deposit slip and I talk to the lady and she apologizes profusely. And then she actually remembered me because she was actually the same lady that I talked to last week when I came in and had to open a new bank account. So she apologizes again. And then I asked for my my 15 bucks back for the statement. And then she does this nice thing where she she just goes back and just waves all of my account fees for the business account is like if you don't have five grand sitting in the account they they charge you 15 bucks a month and it's been a minute and i haven't had five grand in the account which is why i'm closing it because i'm tired of paying those 15 bucks every month 16 actually 
So just as a courtesy, she just goes in and waves my 16 bucks times every month. So she just like gives me 70 bucks. So I deposit my my big old check. I've gotten paid one more time. And then there's this whole other story of how my fir- my last paycheck was actually missing a thou. And then this paycheck had the thou, an extra thou. And then there's this big check and it's the day after payday. And it's like my account balance tomorrow when everything stops being pending, my account balance might be pretty good. And then also she gave me 60 bucks for fees I'd paid. And then she closed my account and just buttoned up a lot of things for me. And I walked out of the bank feeling like, oh, that was good. And then I see my aunt and I tell her what happened. And then she looks up into the sky totally earnestly. And she's like, thank you, Lord. And I guess long story short, I'm religious now. (laughs) Oh. Am I religious? Does this mean, am I, did I just convert to Catholicism? (laughs) I thought I was Protestant, bro. I was raised Protestant. I think today, Bank of America made me a Catholic? Is that what this story is? Anyway. Yeah, I'm going to tell that story to Augustina just because she was telling me how weird my aunt was. Augustina kind of roasts me a little bit. She's always like, you know, like she's my subordinate. But she's always telling me that my shirt is wrinkly and that I don't look like a manager. And I'm like, thank you. I like, I like that. I like being roasted. Is that daddy issues? I don't know. Um, if the genders were inverted, that would probably be some sort of daddy issues. But um, no, nah, that's too complicated. The mathematics of, of it, inverting all those genders in that matrix there was too complicated in my my brain melted and I couldn't do it. But but um, I like it when new empl- new hires roast me. And I I, I immediately, I, this goes back to everything. Like when I was 14, I met this guy. His name was Sebastian. I was probably younger than th- 14. And he would just roast me. And he would roast me for not but knowing about history. And then I was like, I think you're my best friend and he's my best friend to this day. And it's because he has this way of talking, which is just like condescending. And he's like, just a know-it-all. And he just like expects everyone else to know exactly what he knows. And he's just like rude about it. And I just, I'm so attracted to that. I don't know what it is, but I'm so attracted to that. And my whole life has just been, peppered with experiences where I have made, I have been seduced by someone roasting me. And I think both me, I, I, you know, when Tiffany started working at Holbrook, bless her heart, (laughs) she would roast me and and I'd teach her how to do the job. And she'd be like, I already know how to do it. I'm 10 years older than you. I have kids and I've been doing this. And she's like, also, your wine glasses are dirty. And I look at them, and I'm like, they are dirty. Thank you for pointing that out. You're roasting my business where I work. I am, in fact, responsible for making the wine glasses not dirty. And I have failed, and you have pointed it out. And because you did that, I now respect you more, and I like you more. And then, bless her heart, turns out that was a complete misunderstanding. I thought that she was really good at her job because she was roasting me. And turns out she can't, she can't serve her, she couldn't serve her way out of a wet paper bag. 
she couldn't ring in an order correctly in a wet paper bag, bro. You lock her into a prison of a wet paper bag and ask her to ring in an order, course it up correctly. Hey, how about we have the appetizers come out first? How about we have the mains come out after the appetizers, you know? How about you don't accidentally just uh, ring in three extra tri-tips at the end because you, you don't know how to look at a computer screen, you know? Tiffany, bless her heart. Love that lady. <clears throat> you know, couldn't serve her way out of a paper bag, but I also wish I was like, okay, I shouldn't say that. Wish I was married to her. But that's fine. Um, was totally confused by how, how um, she uh, would roast me. But here's the thing I was going to say. Augustina, she roasts me and she's amazing at her job. That's the trifecta. I know it's only two things, but that's the trifecta. In life, that's the trifecta I'm looking for. Someone to be act, to be roasting me and backing it up, that's the trifecta. I know it's only two things, but it's the triforce of two things. Oh, man. Augustina is so good at her job. Yeah. Uh, what else is going on? Got to remember to tell her that my aunt prayed for me when I had to go to Bank of America and then thanked the Lord when it worked out, when they waived, when they waived the fucking statement fee. So good. There's a couple of things I could talk about. There's one thing which is weird, and this is abstract and kind of boring in its politics, but it's like there is something real here. I, let me drink another water because I'm thirsty as fuck. Um... Grapefruit. We're doing three grapefruit flavors today. So this one, the, it's, the name is so complicated and convoluted. This reminds me of like if I was a um, – if I was allowed to come up with a brand when I was like 14, I would come up with this shit. And it's too much. The thing about brands that took me a very long time to understand is that – Less is more to the point of like, not only should you not have three thoughts rolled into one clever role and where the symbolism and this thing symbolizes this and, and the name and the visual and everything is connected and four different ideas and everything fits into this one thing here. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't even have one thought. You should have less than one thought in a brand because a brand is like, like Nike. And the Nike swoosh is like less than one thought because a brand isn't trying to, sp should not speak to your thinking mind. It should speak to your like prefrontal fucking amygdala. It should speak to like the part of your brain that has already developed when you are a, you know, six week cluster of cells almost a fetus, you know? So this brand here, it's hops. The word is hops, but then they put a two by the H and the O, and they raised the O up. So it's like, it's both, it's hop water, but it's sparkling hop water, but it's also like the hops, the word hops starts with H-O, and so they have H-O-2. So one part of it is H-O-2, but then the H-O-2 also spells the beginning of the word hops, 
And then the logo behind that is like hops. And then the color from the hops is also the color of the multicolored letters of the word hops and the two. And everything is jumped around and everything is way too complicated. And it's garbage. Sparkling hop water, grapefruit. Let's smell it. Oh, that smells hoppy AF. And behind the sort of... What what is it with hops? Like, how do we describe the smell of hops? There's something about hops that reminds me of like wet paper, like wet paper that's been sitting. There's something about a really hoppy IPA that, to me, it reminds me of of this weird act that you don't do as an adult because it's gross. But you did everyone. I'm sure everyone did it as a kid, where you like have paper in your mouth and you like suck all the liquid out of the paper and you take dry paper out of your mouth because you you kept it in your mouth until it was wet. And then you like suck on it. So you suck all the saliva out of the paper and then you take out a dry-ish ball of paper. That's the kid equivalent of drinking a hoppy IPA. Oh, this is this smells a lot like beer. Hold on. Is this alcohol-free? Okay, zero alcohol. Because this smells so much like an IPA that I that I might be staring down the green barrel of a the green glass bottle barrel of a relapse. Ooh. Not gonna relapse because that's kinda gross. Kinda gross. Don't want to take a second sip. Mmm. Wow, that smells a lot better than it tastes, because that is watery and a little bit hoppy and a little bit grapefruity. Mm. So funny. I have I was at work today, even though it's my day off, and um, and I was standing in the service station, and I I walk in there and I make this I crack a joke saying, "I just came to have a tic tac, and now I'm leaving." So I walk into work and I grab a tic tac, and then I leave. And Corey stopped me and he was like, there's all these waters here. And he was like, Steph was saying you should grab this one. Because it was like samples from some sort of vendor. And one of them was an alcohol-free sparkling hop water. And he was, and then we had a little conversation if we like IPAs or not. And I'm definitely going to send him a picture of this and, <clears throat> and, um, and talk, tell him about it. I, I fucking love Corey so much. I really, we are so different and I just have this feeling like because we are so different and with him, I can, with London, I just said the same thing, but I can't quantify it. But with him, I can quantify it because he's just like a, you know, um, counterculture conspiracy theory nut. I think I can use those words, you know, anti-vaxxer and stuff. So it's like... um there's a lot of things there that we disagree on, which is always a ticking time bomb for, cause as soon as something really comes up in life, it can get really contentious and it can really blow up a friendship. So with any friendship like that, I just feel like there is a quality of temporariness to it. There's a short, there's a fickle, fickleness to it. But the thing is that we have like the exact same sense of humor or, or like we, we manage to find common ground and sense of comedy and we have so much fucking fun at work. And I just really think one day I'll be mortal enemies with Corey, but I'll still look back with such fondness on how, how much he makes me laugh. 
and how much I make him laugh and how fun. I don't know, last night, really, at the end of it, he was almost almost making me mad because I was trying to go home and I was fucking tired and I knew I had to see my uncle in the morning, so I'm not trying to make this a late night. And he, like, let some people come in after we were closed, and he, like, took an order and had them drink. And I was pissed because I'm like, this is liable to be bullshit because now there's 10 people pulling different tables together in the dining room after we're closed, ordering drinks, sitting down. Like, 10 people? This could take forever for them to dissipate. This could be forever. I could be here forever, bro. And then luckily, it didn't go like that. And then... I'm like a little bit pissed with him and I'm like, I'm like, Corey, did you tell them that we're closed? And then he does this bullshit thing where he's like, uh, they don't pay me to say that. Like, I'm not a manager. Like, I don't, and it's like, Corey, you absolute piece of shit. That's definitely your job. You're being a complete piece of shit just because I was hired after you and then I was promoted and now I'm your boss. Shut your fucking face. <laughs> That is your job, dude. If someone comes in after nine, we say we're closed. And if they come in 15 minutes before nine, we say, hey, I'll get you a table, but we close in 15. You have to mention when we close if they come in right before close. God damn it, bro. Anyway, so then I'm like a little bit ready to fight and he's walking around and then he comes up to me and he's like, look, there's this girl out there. She really needs to talk to a manager. She's pissed. Like she's fucking furious with me. Like, I don't know what to say. Just go out there. You got to talk to her. She wants to talk to a manager. I'm sorry. So I get all amped up and I go out there and he's like, yep, that lady's standing. She's standing up at the table like a true sign of someone who's furious. Like you're not even sitting. You're too angry to be sitting. He's like the lady in the brown dress. And so I'm like, okay. And I walk over there. <laughs> and then she's like, I just want to say like everything was so great. And, like, he's such a great server. And I'm like, yes, but. And, and like, uh, the bartender, like, he made these really great drinks. And I'm like, yes, and, but. And, and like, you guys just took such good care of us. And I just think it's so important to, like, recognize this and, like, tell tell someone when someone does a really good job. And I'm like, okay, so is there no but? And then there was no but. And he was kidding. <laughs> He was kidding. She was happy. And I went over there all adrenaline out, ready to fight. Just like swole. Just like. <laughs> just like did a little bit of that. Uh, what What's that breathing called? Anyway, when you about to go into some ice water and you do a couple, a couple of crazy breaths. And I got so jacked on adrenaline. And like, because I was so jacked on adrenaline, I couldn't like suddenly switch gears from like the fifth gear to the first gear. So I couldn't really. Uh, match her level and be like oh well how pleasant i'm so happy you had a great like just be in there for her in her saying that (laughs) instead i had to be like okay okay fine fine lady we did a great job so what (laughs) you know (laughs) he got me so good dude oh he got me so good that he almost felt bad But it was still funny. It was worth it because it was funny. It cracked me up so much. Then afterwards, I got gas after work. And I'm standing there at the gas station all alone in the, at like midnight, pumping gas, thinking about how Corey just bamboozled the fuck out of me. And just laughing to myself. So funny. Because <laughs> I went over there ready to fight this lady, dude. I just think it's very important that we recognize when people do such a great job. And he's just like such a lovely person. And Corey's just looking at me from the corner, just like, yeah, dude, get it, dude. <laughs> uh, 
fuck? I got to message Corey about this disgusting hop water, though, because last time I saw him, three hours ago, he was like, hop water, that sounds gross. I mean, hoppy beer is good, but like water that has a little bit of a hop flavor in it, that sounds gross. And then here I am three hours later drinking a water that is watery and has a little bit of hop hop flavor and it's disgusting. So the Izzy is a soda, so that's why I didn't give it a score. But this hop water, like how am I even going to, I'm going to give it a two. But how am I even going to write this name in the pot, in the episode description when it's like, the letters are not even on a line. There's an H, and then next to that down, there's a two. And next to that up, there's a O. And then there's a big P, and then there's a big S. Oh, like, you can't even... That is so frustrating. I find that very frustrating. So, here's what I was going to say about politics that I'm that I'm noticing in myself. It's like, I am quite disconnected from so now i am fidgeting with a wine key because i used an opener um so let let me throw that away because that makes me anxious fidgeting with a wine key reminds me too much of being at work so let's not do that excuse me had to get a burp out of the way swedish politics i have disconnected from I have only spent maybe two of the last 15 years in Sweden. I do not read the news in Swedish because it is boring as fuck. And all the, the, the business, the, honestly, the problem is that the business model sucks. Like, if you think there are a lot of ads, if you go to Fox News and there's ads, if you think that there's a lot of ads on the New York Times... You have no idea what Aftonbladet and DN.se and Expressen.se, all these Swedish websites, news, the big Swedish news websites, they have an insane amount of ads because, like, they have the most backbone, like, journalistic backbone of any journalist you'll ever know because they're so wholesome and they still live in the 1950s. But the ads are crazy because the business model doesn't work because there aren't that many fucking Swedes in the world. So to support even the biggest websites, I guess they need a lot of ad revenue and it just doesn't work. So I'm kind of disconnected from Swedish politics and I don't know a lot about it and I don't really care. And so then what I know is like tiny little things that show up in fucking English language news. And also I know that there was an election and I was supposed to vote and I realized on election day that I was going to vote. And I am in America. So if you want to vote by mail from abroad, you have to think about it not on election day. And I think that might not be true in America because if you, if it's post stamped or whatever the phrase is, if it's mailed out on election day, it still gets counted. I don't think that's true in Sweden. Election day came and passed. I never even sent anything in. I'm sorry. And then the next day I read about it and it was like, oh, the social Democrats won. And I was like, oh, phew, phew. Um, that's who I was going to vote for. If they had lost, I would have been stressed out as fuck for not because I didn't vote. And then I must have mid- misread every, like, I just don't even know how to read or something because apparently that's not the case. And what really happened is that the racist far right party won 20% of the vote. So now they have an enormous amount of power in the forming of coalitions because the way the multi-party system works in Sweden is that 
you vote for a party, every party that gets more than 4% gets to enter this sort of like parliament that we call Riksdagen. And you gets to play around in the parliament. And then you have to, after the election, you have to find, it's really sort of like a playground. It's really sort of a 10, 15 kids on a playground trying to form teams kind of dynamic. Because after the election, everyone's size has been defined. And now people have to glom together in a way where they, as a team, form more than 50%. So you clearly end up with like parties that are clearly left-wing and clearly right-wing. And then there are these mid-centrist parties, a party literally called the center, and one party, like, you know, the environmentalist party is a little bit centrist. There's some of these like center-right parties, like the People's Party and stuff that that are, that can go either way a little bit. But the point is that, that um, it didn't go very good. And now that the racist party got, the Sweden Democrats got 20%. It's like, um, they have a lot of power. It's very hard for the other groups to form a coalition that has 50% of the vote so that they can form a government. Very hard to get to 50% without um, including the Sweden Democrats in your coalition. So that's shitty. But here's the thing. I don't really care too much about it. I care a little bit about it, but I don't care too much. So when I read about it, and and then, so then what I see is that I do follow some Instagram accounts. I check Instagram on my computer. I check some Instagram accounts. I have some funny meme accounts in Sweden. And then now the memes are all making fun of the party leader, the leader of the Sweden Democrat Party, right? And then everyone is like, oh yeah, we've all known someone like this. And they just talk about like how she is, the, the meme version of it is that she is the really, really stupid girl in seventh grade who asks really, really stupid questions and doesn't understand anything. And it's this incredibly derisive voice. The meme voice used to... Dude, this is insane. Like, for... I've now recorded this podcast. I'm at one hour and 30 minutes. For one hour and 30 minutes, continuously, I have just seen chess moves move in front of my eyes. Just like nonsense chess moves. Just like the pawn protects the rook. Someone takes the pawn. The rook is hanging. Bishop takes rook. Am I up the exchange? It's just complete. Like just my brain is just broken. I Maybe I got to. I haven't thought this, I've never thought this thought before, but maybe I should play less chess. I've literally never thought that thought before. I thought chess was harmless. Maybe I'm doing it, maybe I can do anything to a level where it harms me. More on that later. I am looking at these memes, making fun of the leader of the Sweden Democrats, and all I can think is, this isn't good because this is condescending. It's condescending and it's like rude. And here we have these people who clearly, we don't agree with them politically, but clearly like they think a thing, they have an opinion. And like just being rude about it, it like we're not, this is not going to go well. I have seen this movie. 
having people on the far right that you disagree with and just making fun of them for being fucking stupid, that doesn't end well. It does not work. They don't go away when you make fun of them for being stupid. And when you speak about them, when you control the national narrative and the voice, and you are all of the voices on TV, and all of the voices on TV make comedy skits about how stupid that lady is. That does not go well. And then I Google her, and on the like English language version of her Wikipedia, which is the first thing I ended up on, because I'm the worst Swede in the whole universe. It's like, what it says is like, she was a volunteer nurse in Papua New Guinea for a bit, you know? Now she hates immigrants, you know? She wants to do something bad about immigration. You know, the party has most of the people in this party in the Sweden Democrats. I mean, it's like a party where most of the people who founded the modern version of the party have were at some point members of the Nazi party. Like, this is a bad party. But... If you are looking for something, if, like, if you are disgruntled and what you know about her is that she was a volunteer nurse in Papua New Guinea, and you know that about her, and then you all people say is they just make fun of her for saying stupid shit, she doesn't believe in evolution, you know? <sighs> this is not going to go well. And then, here's the other thing. Then... For some reason, I really care about politics in America. I think it's just exposure. There's some thing where, and I really almost want to say that it has to do with the social media algorithm of agitation and how the algorithm has just figured out that getting us angry is the best way to get to engagement. And there's something there Angry gets us to engagement. There's something there that's like the answer to why the thing that I just see a lot, I feel engaged as fuck. Like I feel so engaged with American politics and I feel so angry about it. And it's because I see so much of it. And I really think that doesn't have to be as true as it is. Because like there was a time when for years of my life, I just paid attention to Chinese politics and I learned so much about it and I never had an, any emotional valence to much of it. More than like on this like deep, healthy level of ultimately feeling like I probably think democracy is the best. I probably think that we need to respect the tenets, the deep tenets of freedom and democracy. Like these just like, those were feelings. Oh, God damn it. But there's something I feel about American politics that I feel so strongly. So then what I was going to say is that then I get to this point where I see the enemy. And I know that if I react and just make fun of the enemy, the enemy is the mouth-breathing, knuckle-dragging, homeschooled, fucking, mouth-breathing, donkey-trotting, you know, just hairy forehead, you know, brow like a Neanderthal, 
bad breath, doesn't use deodorant, smells like patchouli. You know, big American flag on the on the back of their truck. QAnon idiots. Those are the en- enemies. And when I see them, all I can react with is derision. All the only reaction available to me is I hate you so much right now. Is that a song? Is that a song? I hate you so much right now. It feels like that's a song. I hate you so much right now. I hate you so much right now is a song by Khalees. I don't know. I feel like that might not be a song. What I'm saying might not be a song. Sometimes um, I <laughs> I had a funny one where there was there's like this. It's an Eminem song or a Lil Wayne song or something, and the lyrics go bottles in the club. And then this one time yesterday, I was walking through the kitchen. And I was singing to myself, and I go, snuggles in the club. And then afterwards, I just, like, commented on myself, and I was like, oh, yeah, that was, a, that was a really good song that I came up with. And then Mason, okay, I think you had to be there. This didn't work out. Sorry. I should never talk about music, probably. Um, Mason uh, made fun of me for commenting on my own thing. Uh, love Mason. Love Mason. Um, yeah. So when it's about Sweden, the exact same dynamic, I can see what the right course of action is. And then when I know that the exact same thing is happening in the Petri dish that I am steeped in, I know the exact same dynamic. And I know that the point is that we cannot just make fun of the Trump supporters. I don't have any option, any other options. So like, it is my only only thing I can do. I don't have anything else. Oh, you think Ron DeSantis is great for shipping, for fucking bussing migrants to Martha's Vineyard? Anyway, it's just so disappointing that we are, that we cannot do what we need to do. What we need to do is to put emotion aside and put identity aside and just be cool with each other being weird. Be cool with each other living in different realities. Be cool with each other about everything. I don't know. I'm working on it though, dude. I'm really trying. And Corey's my friend and I love Corey. And Corey lives in different reality to me and that's fine. You know, he thinks everything is a scam, and that's fine. Used to be friends with Matt. He's not friends with me anymore. He hates me now. He's different than me. I tried to be friends with him. We were friends for 20 years. We always argued about shit. He always thought the Anunnaki and the fucking civilization was created by, you know, aliens. Ancient civilizations put us here, and he thinks that the government is hiding a Sasquatch breeding program, and he literally believes that the Earth is flat, and there you go. And I still try to be friends with him because we need to. We need, I, I, and I, it's so important to not get hung up on making fun of them because it is literally destroying the entire world. Oh, but when, but I can't do it. I can't do it. All right, let's drink another water. So this third water here comes with a little bit of a story because I did not buy this water. Here's the situation. I 
It's a squirt. It's a can of squirt. Caffeine-free, thirst quencher. Does it say? Is this grapefruit? This is supposed to be grapefruit, right? Oh, yeah, grapefruit. Grapefruit. Now, this is a soda. It's a soda right there, but we're going to drink it because of the story. So I'm sitting at the front desk, you know. My front desk agents don't show up. I'm a restaurant manager, but I'm really feeling like the way to make myself unfireable is to learn every single thing of how it works because I can tell that the finances and the computer software of running a hotel is extremely complicated and everyone is struggling with it. And I am a little bit of a massive computer nerd and I can learn anything like that. Yesterday, London asked me, do you know what an API is? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I do know what an API is. It's the fucking name of the key in the back end when two different computer systems want to talk to each other. When Coinbase and fucking Taxbit and, you know, Tax Slayer or whatever into it want to talk to each other, you need an API key. Whenever two very different computer systems want to talk to each other, you need an API key, whatever. That's not the point of the story. I was sitting at the front desk. I know how to do everything on there. I'm, no, I do not. But I'm at breakneck speed. I'm learning more and more things. And as I am learning them, they are developing in my hands. Like as I pick them up and master them, the tool itself is shifting in my hand and becoming better. And we're all becoming more clear on what it was. Even people who already knew how to use the tool are now realizing that with my input and stuff, it's like, I'm just, it's, we're all getting better together and it's really cool. And it's a very pleasant, um, fun challenge. Miller is going away. Um, Soleil is going away. I'm going to have to step up. I'm going to have to step up on the front desk. So I'm at the front desk and, um, this lady calls and she's like, I forgot a gift bag of stuff. Can you ship it to me? I just got back. I live in Southern California. I checked out this morning. Can you find it? And I turn around. I look at the lost and find. There's the bag. And then I'm like, I found it. Where do I ship it? And I've never done this before. It's one of a hundred things where I'm just given a task and I don't know what what's our policy. I don't know how we do it. But also being promoted, I've realized that my whole thing is like, no one else has time to teach me and do everything. So just do it. Just treat this a little bit like we're entrepreneurs here. And the thing about entrepreneurship is like, you just have to problem solve. So I just take her address. And then I'm like, I'll go to the UPS store tomorrow. And I'll ship this out. And then I'm going to fucking bring the receipt and take some money from the restaurant. And I know about how to do all those things separately. I don't know how to do them together. And I don't know what our policy, blah, 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 but I'm going to do it. So I'm on the phone with this lady for so long. And she tells me so many things about her life. And she tells me about her niece in New York. And she talks so for so long and says so many funny things that based on only the phone call, the initial phone call, I was going to talk about her on the podcast because she kept riffing on this hilarious thing where she was like, she has a hyphenated last name and so does her husband. So they gave their kid a last name with three names. They did two hyphens, three names. And then the kid, her daughter, is 
marrying someone with two last names hyphenated. So we got five last names in the mix. And then she's talking about, what about their kid? Like, are you going to give the kid all five? And then that kid is going to marry someone with four? And you're going to hyphenate like nine last names? Like your last name is going to be like Taylor Miller Johnson fucking eggplant? You know? And she's riffing on this and she's being hilarious. And the whole time, I just want to go into this riff that I have done on the podcast in the past about how Dr. Luke told me that there is this curious statistic in medicine and and like psychology where like for some reason, women, young women with hyphenated last names have a much higher uh, probability of developing an eating disorder. And if you have a hyphenated last name, you are more prom- more probable to develop an eating disorder. And there is so much there to talk about. And it's so interesting because I think it's not a, a value-neutral thing, having a, a hyphenated last name. What having a half, half, hyphenated last name means that your parents couldn't decide. They both, they're not like old world, simple, humble people who just go patrilineal. They are these sort of pretentious liberals who want to do something new and to really think that they are both, like the woman isn't going to just be bulldozed here and the man isn't going to just give up. So, yeah. So they both want too much. And they couldn't decide, and they decided to give their kid both of their last names with a hyphen, which is, and this I said to the lady on the phone, well, yes, hyphenating your last name is the act of kicking the can down the road. You're not really solving the problem, because the lady is uh, posing it as like, yeah, should all these women just lose all their last names? Like, how? that's not fair. Do you think that's fair? And she's asking me on the phone, and it's like, bro, you're calling a business here? about a pro like a lost item and you've turned this into like asking me an almost gender politics question <laughs> like lady how did we get here and i tell her no i don't think that's fair i think these women deserve everything that men deserve i don't think it's fair for them to just lose all their last names and i wish my brain would just for a moment take a break and not just play chess moves in my brain as I am talking, you know? Bishop, x-raying the pawn, and the queen is behind the pawn, and if the pawn moves, the bishop is going to take the queen. Better remember that. Later you forget, and you move the pawn, and now the bishop takes the queen. Oh, you forgot, even though you knew it earlier, but you couldn't remember all the things that were x-raying what. So, I'm on the phone with this lady, and she's like, talking to me about these last names and I'm trying my hardest not to throw out this hilarious factoid about bulimia because really it's rude of me to say it. And really what I'm saying is you sound like you're probably the type of person where your daughter is going to end up being bulimic because you're just too much of a pill. You're just a handful, lady. Sounds like you're a handful, and it sounds like you fucking passed on a lot of handfulness to your daughter, and and it sounds like a fucking... It sounds like you probably fucked everything up with your daughter psychologically. 
is what I'm saying if I say, hey, did you know that hyphenating your last name, hyphenating your daughter's last name is, makes it way more likely for her to develop an eating disorder? So I have this long, hilarious conversation with her. I get her phone number. I get her address and I'm going to go to the UPS store. And then I'm like, so I'm going to send this out and I'm going to call you tomorrow and ask you for some credit card info and um, uh, so that you can pay for the shipping. And so we have this like 25 minute phone call, right? And then the next day I go to the UPS store, I send out her thing and it's a gift bag. I haven't looked in it because it felt uh, like a privacy thing. Like I shouldn't look in it. And then the, the the squirrely little lady at the UPS store uh, goes through the items because she has to. Because to ship stuff, you have to know that there's not fucking explosive poison in there. And then she holds up this can and she's like, well, we can't send this because it's pressurized. We're not allowed to ship pressurized things. And I reach out my hand, my trembling hand, and I hold the can up to the light and I say, Fine, I'll review it on my podcast. Ooh, fuck, dude, that smells really good. Ooh, that is not as sweet as I was expecting. I was expecting it to be super sugary. Squirt, what a disgusting name. I guess porn made the word... There are so many words that porn made dirty that weren't dirty before. <laughs> I had a hilarious interaction with with um, Steph where... <laughs> me and Steph and Kavika are standing in the service station and Steph has cut her finger and it's bleeding all over the place. And she asks me for a Band-Aid and she's like, dude, I'm squirting all over the place. And then I go, yeah, Steph, you're a real gusher. Because <laughs> Steph and me like to uh, just say inappropriate things because it's hilarious. Because we're hilarious. And then Kavika goes, Joachim, you can't say that. <laughs> you're a manager. That sounded inappropriate. You can't say things like that. And then... <laughs> And he's right, but also you can't fire me for saying, Jesus, it's gushing blood everywhere, you know, because it's a double entendre, and I can just pretend like I only know about the one entendre. Can't fire me for 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 a ghostly second entendre. So, so I'm like, Steph is like, oh man, it's squirting all over the place, and I go, oh, Steph, you're a real gusher. And Kavika goes, Jesus, Joe, Kim, you can't say that. And Kavika is laughing because he thinks it's hilarious that I said it and he loves that I said it and he thrives on the fact that there's this tension him and me secretly also have the same type of sense of humor and then what was I going to say about this oh yeah and then Steph goes no no Kavika I like it it's the it's the only action I get oh thus giving me a Get out of jail free card. Is that a get out of jail free card? Nah, it's not. It's not. Nah. She could change her mind later and be like, I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I was assaulted. He looked at my finger bleeding all over the place and said, Steph, you're a real gusher. And in that moment, a, th a thousand different porn videos that I've watched 
replayed in my mind and and involuntarily I felt sexually assaulted. I shouldn't talk about this. Uh, this is not something I should talk about. Anyway, um, let's pivot to something kind of related, which is like, I'm at a, I'm in a very interesting, oh, now I feel stressed, stressed out about, anyway, um, I'm in a, it's a very interesting situation where like now I am sort of managing people and I have to manage their relationships, which... It's kind of a myth. That's not really real. People cannot be managed. They, like, I think Barack Obama was right in everything. I think the whole idea of, like, you manage from behind because there is no actually managing anyone. You just have to, like... If two people hate each other, there's nothing you can do as a manager where you come in and you're like, well, I think you should hug it out. Like, it doesn't exist. So there's that managing, and that managing isn't really what I'm talking about. What I'm talking, like, for example, now I make the schedule. So everyone, the schedule is like how you decide who's going to make money. The power of making the schedule is the power of deciding who's going to make money. And and then everyone thinks that I'm going to make the schedule based on like emotions and how I feel about them. And like everyone tries to like make me like them so that I'll give them a good schedule. And little do they know, I don't give a shit about that. All I care about is continuity. All I care about is that we have a business that's working quite well in its current form. So I'm not trying to fuck with it at all. I just want it to continue functioning. Even my worst enemies will maintain their schedules because all I care about is the larger animal. And I do not, I do not care about my own emotions at all. But what I was going to say about it is the following, that people then come to me and they talk to me about it. And I can just tell in their everything about their demeanor, that they really care about the outcome of the conversation. And me, I'm over here sleep deprived and I am not invested in it, but just in how they are and how much I can tell that they care because it really matters to them because, and I'm not saying like that it doesn't, like I'm not saying that they're silly for make, thinking that it matters to them. It obviously matters. It's money. Like money matters to me more than anything. Obviously, I said that an hour ago. Bags, you know? Daddy cares about bags, you know? Says the Swede into the microphone. I might be the least cool person. I, like, if God's angels could rank all human beings by coolness or something, I think I might be in the bottom 1%. And that's fine. And that's fine. I don't mind. Um, what I was going to say is that they come to me and they they talk to me about the schedule and they have like concerns and questions and they like wonder about it. And then I am a sensitive guy, highly sensitive per person, HSP. I just am. I'm so sensey. And my mind is on a constant loop of just playing chess moves 
in my vision, visual field. Whenever I close my eyes, there's just like two chess moves happen real quick. And they don't make any sense, and they're not part of any larger game, and I'm not getting better at chess with that. It's just my mind being on a broken loop. I think I might need some antipsychotic medication. We'll talk about it later. Maybe I need to play less chess. It's the name of the episode. Um, so anyway, the people come to me and they talk to me about their schedule and they clearly care a lot about the outcome of the conversation. And I take on so much of that stress because I'm a super sensitive person. And I am really in a situation here where like I am taking on so much people stress in this role and I'm really at a crossroad where there's two possible outcomes here. Uh, it's possible that like I have had, I have, I have examples of both paths. Like for example, when I started working as a host at Bastille in Seattle, I walk in there. I, there's so many stressful things. There are these really, really fancy sommeliers running the place and they know so much about wine. And I walk in there and I'm like, I used to have a wine company with sold burgundy wines and they were like, fuck, we love burgundy wines here. And then it turned out that really in that wine company, my skill set was I spoke Chinese. I had a business degree. I knew how to navigate fucking Chinese cities. I could, you know, manage. Like, I didn't know that much about wine. I learned some. But really, it was a stressful role for me. It was very stressful. And I was a host meaning I'm the person greeting people and seating them as they walk into the restaurant. And all the servers come to me and complain about um, not being seated enough, being seated too much, being seated too late. So much fucking complaining, which is why I'm so sympathetic to Hannah's plight, where she's like, these servers are fucking complaining to me. And it's like, I'm doing my best. And it's like, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just doing it fair between them. And they complain. And I will walk through fire to protect Hannah with this. I will go to her next time I see her and I will tell her, look, if anyone complains to you at all, tell me, I will go to them and tell them that they're not allowed to say anything to you about it. Anyway, also as a host, I had to um, show up at work, check the voicemail was the first thing we do. You check the voicemail. There's like usually like six messages. It's people wanting to buy a gift card. It's people um, wanting a reservation. And then you have to call all of them back and deal with stuff. Answer questions about when we're open, make reservations, um, call them back, get credit card info, uh, process a gift card, go to the mailbox, like fill out a whole fucking envelope, write an address on an envelope, put a stamp on there, walk to the mailbox, mail out gift cards bought by people over the phone, that kind of shit. And here's the thing. I was so anxious about phones at the time. I was not, like, I was less of a grown-up because I hadn't, it was, this is before I got sober. There's a million reasons, but I, I, I was so scared of phones and phone calls stressed me out so much. And I get in this role where I'm just, watched also as I do it and everything made it worse it was my nightmare but somehow I just didn't give up and I just did it and it is to me the most I'm sure I've told this 
entire thing before. But somehow to me, it's so emblematic of a thing that I did that stressed me out maximum. And then I just got through it and I got used to it. And now I just have developed a phone voice. I'm a really good host. I can do all that shit and it doesn't stress me out. And that's one way that things can go. And then the other way things can go, and I'm sure I've also talked about this on the podcast before, but I don't think I've talked about these things as opposites, but they are. One is how it went when I was a host. When I, I, it was super stressful and I got used to it. And after seven months, it was just easy for me. And the other one is I was in China. I was like 20, 21 years old and I was a teacher and I was so nervous about walking into that classroom and having 25 or 30 or 35 or 15 like second graders or seventh graders or whatever look at me. And they looked at me and my fear was running out of things to say, running out of things to teach. So I would over-prepare so that I would have more, like I would prepare so that I felt like maybe I had 10 hours of things to say. And it was a 25-minute class. Now that's not true because I was a fucking mess at the time. And I was like, you know, not sober, partying, sleep-deprived, disorganized, fucking coffee-stained fucking coffee-stained paperwork, but also not fancy coffee, not fancy coffee because we just drank McDonald's iced coffee, and boy, that coffee is good. Iced coffee from fast food in China, iced coffee from KFC, oh, what's better? Nothing. Um. So the point of this that story is that they... They, I was so anxious about it, and I never got used to it. And after like two, two and a half years of teaching, I just had to look at myself and be like, I'm literally not getting used to this. Like, I, this is not getting better. I have to just give up on this. And I just sort of gave up on it. Now, that's very much a constructed narrative because I really... I mean, someone offered me a different job and I kind of was like, yeah, I'll do that. And then afterwards I was like, so I chose not to teach, but really someone just offered me a different job and I just did like an office job instead. But my current role managing, it can really go two ways. And like right now I am too anxious and I take on all the stress of this. And it is really getting to me and it is very difficult. And there are so many conflicts. And I am not handling it that well. And either I'm going to get used to it or I'm not. But also, I can already feel myself 51% convinced that I will get used to it because even in these worst moments when people that I really do not vibe with come at me with the rudest bullshit. And even when I ruminate on that rude bullshit, really ruminate on it. Like think about it every 60 minutes. I just relitigate the whole, like I just imagine the whole exchange in my head again, angrily of how these you know, how people are shitty about this. Fucking, fucking 
people I have to manage. God damn it. Even in those moments, I don't care that much. <laughs> Even in those moments, I don't care that much, and it's fine, actually. I regret laughing in that moment because it wasn't funny. Yeah. I don't know. Here's something else I was thinking about. Like, 10 years ago, I read this thing on the internet where I was like, someone was like, word processors, like Microsoft Word, are set up all wrong because it's in a computer. But what the thing is trying to do in a computer is actually just emulate a piece of paper. And that doesn't make any sense because it's not a piece of paper. It's a computer. It can do anything. Why would you set up a computer to be... Why would you set up something so smart to function as something so dumb? Why would you set up Microsoft Word to just be the functionality of a sheet of paper in front of you? Why wouldn't you make it way smarter? And I remember reading that 10 years ago and being like, this intuitively makes so much sense to me. And then the person that was writing this on the internet had like invented a new word processor or something and it was way different and I tried it out and it didn't work at all and it was so much worse. And I was like, oh, so the idea was good, but they couldn't figure it out. And then I've thought about that idea so many times in the last 10 years of how the current word processors, they're so bad and they're so much just like a piece of paper. But the thing is that the idea even though it's so intuitively true, it's not true at all. Like it actually, it doesn't actually work because there is no better way to do it. You have to just, a word processor has to just be a sheet of paper on a screen. And even though intuitively you can be like, well, that's such a, you know, condescending way to think that this genius computer can only do what a what a dumb two-dimensional piece of paper can do the computer can do anything there's something about the human brain and how we think about words and string words together and think and write down stories there's something about that there's something about the human brain and a sheet of paper that's magical and the the, the like Suboptical, sub, suboptical. The suboptimal magic of a computer cannot actually fuck with it. It's actually already perfect, and and my mind will never stop just like moving chess pieces in my brain behind my behind my eyelids. But it's like I just find that so interesting that we can clearly see that this was a really silly thing to do to set up word processors to just emulate a two-dimensional piece of paper. And it's so silly because computers are so much better. But then it turns out that it wasn't silly. I don't know. For some reason, that's like the most fascinating idea to me. And it's almost like that whole thing where I'm like, where I believe that all these like rituals and religions and stuff, there's some evolutionary like um, survival of the fittest dynamic to it where we, a thousand cultures try a 
billion trillion rituals a million trillion times and the rituals that really make us feel the most and give us the most catharsis and give us the most harmony and give that just work the best with our brains those rituals um live on so we end up with these ancient ancient rituals of like burial it's called a funeral it's like it's the best way for the human mind to process grief to it, we call it a funeral it has these components. It's like completely universal across cultures. You get together. You grieve. You like stay a little bit proximate to the body. You talk about the person. And then you talk about something theoretical and non-secular and abstract. And then you have a good cry about it. And then you feel better. And there's just something so like unassailable in that i'm happy i came up with the word unassailable because i was running out of steam um and then there's something about a piece of paper in a that's the same which is like unassailable and it's also like i'm more and more toying with the idea of like are we going to completely move away from the written word like is like reading a book is so fucking boring compared to tiktok and also Aren't we just emailing because computers were kind of slow in the beginning and we could only send text? And now that we can send video, aren't we just going to send video? So, like, aren't we just going to move away from the written word when we just have perfect fucking Neuralink connection to everything? But there's something about... There is a tiny thing. Most of the written word is useless. Most of the written word can comfortably be replaced by a video call or you know you put on a vr headset and you're in a conference room in space and everyone is tuning in from different places and it's like you can see everyone perfectly in the metaverse and like their eye and facial movements are being captured by the inside of the vr headset and then shown to the other participants so that even when you negotiate you can really feel the emotional valence of how everything is said and nothing is lost you know it's just like being there with the person as we get there to perfection to vr perfection there's still something about and it's most clearly the most clear example is um in aa when you do your fourth step now tristan this is important pay attention in you do a fourth step and your fourth step is you write about it and it's different than talking about it it's different than thinking about it you have a worksheet you have certain questions that you have to ask yourself where was i to blame and then you write down the answer you don't say the answer to your friend. You don't think the answer to yourself. You have to write it down. And it comes out different when you write it down. And there's that weird writer, there's that weird saying of like, sometimes I don't know what I think about something until I write about it. And yeah, what about that? Why is that that? Why is that like that? What the fuck? How is that like that? What is it about a piece of paper that's like that? And not even a piece of paper. It's not like there's magic in the actual papyrus of paper because recreating a piece of paper on a computer screen, like I have done all my fourth steps on a computer. 
you know? You do morning pages in the artist's way and you have to write every morning just to get in the habit of actually forming the thoughts in a way where they can be written down. And I always did that on a computer and it's fine. And um, yeah, I think I have to wrap up this episode, but I am feeling bad about how I talked about trying to manage subordinates and how, yeah, but it's fine. I was abstract. Who cares? I'm not talking about you, Tristan. It's fine. All right. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. No, is the episode over? I don't know. No, I don't think the episode is over. No, there's too much anxiety left. I have to talk more. So um, one thing that I found heartening was um, in that path that I was talking about where I, I got a job at Bastille and I, I it was my job to make phone calls a thousand times a day and I just did it every single day for months and I just got through it and I just got good at it and I and my anxiety around it dissipated. Um, I was reminded of all of that when I watched a shitty, weird Vice documentary called Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. And I honestly, I, I put it on because I thought it was like about Alexander Hamilton. I thought it was like some early presidents are, did drugs because I'm sure everyone did weird drugs in, back in the day. And I, I am a little bit fascinated about that angle of just like drugs in history because I don't... I don't think that angle should be overplayed, but I also think that the way I learned history in Swedish school, we were in complete denial about the existence of drugs and didn't learn anything about drugs. And Swedish people are extremely old-fashioned and conservative when it comes to drugs. And they're terrified of marijuana because you're going to die if you try it once. And um, also they were right, spoiler alert. And um, there's a fascinating book that I heard about recently about how a book that tries to explain everything about Hitler and the Third Reich and the Second World War from a perspective of drugs, of how all the soldiers and all everything about this way that war was conducted back then is because all the soldiers were on amphetamines and Hitler was on opiates and all these different drugs and blah, blah, blah. And I think it's silly. Like those, that book was definitely overplaying it because it's like, it's that thing that I've talked about a thousand times on the podcast about how fucking self-help books and writers that try to explain everything using one angle and they always fall in this stupid cognitive trap of how it's so easy for the human mind to pattern recognition. When you want to explain everything through one lens, you always can. And it doesn't mean that that lens is a good lens for that. And you are, what's that expression? Um, I love that expression where people are like, Donald Trump is bending the legal system until it breaks. Donald Trump bending legal, stretching. Anyway, totally couldn't find it. Tried to Google it, couldn't find it. Um, very frustrating. So frustrated when I can't think of a phrase and when I Google it and I can't find it. So um, there is a great phrase somewhere out there about how Donald Trump is stretching the legal system beyond its measures and it's breaking. And it's it's like a beautiful phrase about that. And I can't even remember. Oh, yeah. So 
you know, when you have an idea and you want to explain everything through the pr- prism of one idea, you can always stretch that idea to fit everything in that idea. But just because you can doesn't mean it's good. Doesn't mean it makes sense. Doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Doesn't mean it's actually smart. Doesn't mean it actually explains anything. You know? Everything can be explained through a lens of demographics. Everything can be explained through a lens of drugs. Everything can be explained through a lens of trauma. Everything can be explained through a lens of money. You know, do your thing. The human brain is really good at telling stories like that and picking a lens. And it's kind of like the voice thing I was saying of how any story can be told using any voice underpinned by any emotion, you know? And that doesn't mean that the story becomes the truest in any of those, you know? What was I actually talking about? Oh, yeah, what I was actually going to say is that um in the TV show that I was going to put on because I thought it was about presidents and drugs, because I think that's an interesting idea, even though I don't want to stretch that idea too far, um, it was actually about a vice reporter and his name is Hamilton. <laughs> So I got fooled and they definitely fooled me on purpose where they like know that I that Hamilton is somewhere where you think that you're going to think of presidents. So you got me. You fucking got me. Hamilton's pharmacopoeia because it's also pharmacopoeia. As I'm unpacking this, I'm realizing how it's true that they just did that on purpose because pharmacopoeia is like they could have named it Hamilton. Hamilton is really interested in drugs all over the place because it's some hipster guy who talks about drugs, right? So I'm like, okay. But when you name it Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia, I think it's like a historical docu-series about Alexander Hamilton and his addiction to, you know, fucking, you know, something like Eldervort or some, you know, some weird root with like medicinal properties that made him fucking trip balls or something. But anyway, so it's about a vice reporter. So I'm watching an episode of the show and I found it so heartening because <laughs> people have made fun of this and successfully because it's hilarious. But like vice documentaries are all the same. They're all like some guy who looks so hipstery and he's wearing skinny jeans and he looks really disaffected, like he doesn't care about anything and he's like not invested in the story at all. And he's a hipster and he looks straight from a cafe. He's just a latte drinking Williamsburg um, person. And now he is here in like Somalia and everyone around him is screaming in a foreign language and everyone around him has an AK and he seems completely not nervous about it. And that's every Vice documentary. They're always in the most dangerous places and it's always these like hipsters with like band t-shirts and like one lazy tattoo and they wear like cool guy fashionable glasses and everyone has guns. Everyone in this shot has guns and there's a hilarious documentary now making fun of it and it's very easy to make fun of. But so the point is that there is that thing where the shows are like that and you can th- you can look at those guys and feel like those guys are so fearless. And so he goes in the show that I watched, he goes to South Africa where they do a, 
I don't even remember what the drug was, but it's some, it's a, it's actually a fascinating story because he talks about the history of it and how during apartheid, the apartheid government, the South African government of white supremacist whites, they were trying to develop a drug that they could just like spray all over the population of blacks so that they would be easy to control. And then they sort of like, burn all the evidence when the government falls and we don't really know what happens but it kind of seems like what they did instead was and this is like a conspiracy theory idea but it's also true and it's like it kind of seems like what they did instead was they just developed a drug that was like really um made you really docile and you wanted to do it and then they just gave it out cheaply on the streets and made people addicted to it which is really like in a conspiracy theory sense, that's like the actual powerful way of controlling a crowd. Because if, if you fly an airplane overhead and crop dust the whole crowd with opiates, they're going to know that you did it to them. But if you trick them and make them do it to themselves, it's a much more insidious and powerful thing. And that's why the idea of that is so enticing. And that's why all the conspiracy theory people are so convinced that that's what's always happening and that's probably why that has happened once or twice but i think that there's a shitty there's not a very good overlap between the examples when the conspiracy theory people think that the government did it and the times it actually happened because i'm convinced that the conspiracy theory people think that the opioid epidemic was for example developed on purpose to control the population or something, but I am convinced that it was actually just a sort of runaway corporate. Like, I think the conventional story there is terrifyingly true. The conventional wisdom, wisdom, the conventional wisdom of how it was just milk and whatever that fucking, the Sackler family in, in Connecticut, you know, it was just really, really chill people and wearing really really starchy suits in boardrooms in connecticut that it came up with oxycodone and it's like that story just makes sense on its own without the government getting involved and on purpose being like hey also i want to kill all these people on purpose because i'm a jew and i want there to be just jews and blacks because the blacks are easy to control so i want all the regular Though the God-loving Americans, I want them to die so that it can just be blacks and Jews. And I'm going to get the blacks real riled up and I'm going to control them real good and I'm going to be a Jew. And it's like, I don't think that's true. I think it's more like just the fucking, you know, you know what I'm saying. So the thing I was going to say about it, though, is that in this show where this... Hip, I was going to say well-dressed hipster because I'm a hipster and I just want to dress like a hipster. And I think that's being well-dressed. I think dressing like a hipster is equivalent to being well-dressed. But that says more about me than it does about something else. And I'm trying to be descriptive. So in this show where this like Williamsburg hipster is in South Africa and everyone has guns and everyone is doing drugs and everyone's bleeding from the head because they're doing too many drugs and they fell over and it's crazy and it's in the ghetto and whatever. In this show, he is trying to make a phone call to the guy who's in prison, I think, or maybe not in prison. No, he's not in prison anymore. The guy who did the whole thing, the guy who, the chemist, the white supremacist chemist who invented the 
drug that they gave to the black people. Like a war crime mass murderer. And he's going to call this war crime mass murderer guy who literally went to prison after some fucking war tribunal, but then got out and now he's on a book tour, you know? Because the world is really not perfect, you know? War crime book tour. World not perfect. So he's going to call this guy and then he says, he calls the guy and he goes to voicemail and the guy never picks up. And then he just says, oh, so... It just went straight to voicemail. So I feel really silly that I sat here for an hour trying to amp myself up to get the courage to make that phone call because it didn't lead anywhere because he never even picked up. And he literally never gets to talk to the guy and he never gets in touch with him and it never works out. And I found that micro angle of the show so heartening because it shows that even these guys that we think that they are so weirdly fearless these vice hipsters who go into these crazy, dangerous places. Because <laughs> that's the, the documentary now. I almost have to watch the documentary now after this. But it's that is the funniest part of it all, how fearless they are, even though they go into these like incredibly dangerous places. Even those guys have the same anxieties that I do, where it's just because phones aren't, it's not rational being scared of phones. It's rational being scared of an AK, but but we are all the same, you know? And they, vice hipsters somehow are not that scared of being in the same room as an AK, but they are terrified of making phone calls. And you know what? I've been in a lot of rooms with a lot of guns, and I have been not scared. And then I have been trying to make phone calls and I have taken hours to amp myself up to make those phone calls. And at the, in the end, I never even made the phone call because I just was too scared. And that's how the cookie crumbles. And it reminds me of how this is a whole other thing, but I guess I'll talk about it. So, um, Kendrick Lamar, like there's this, um, podcast called dissect where they, what they're doing for this season of dissect is that they're going through each album of Kendrick Lamar's discography excuse me, sparkling water burp. I really apologize. I burped into the mic. I really want to apologize. Um, each episode, they spend like an hour and a half talking about an album. It's two guys. And they talk about what's the best song on this album, on each album. And each album is an episode and they talk about what's the best song. And then they're going to do a, well, it's all out. They've already done it. But then the last episode is going to be them taking all those best songs that they agreed on and duking it out and, and ending up deciding what's the best Kendrick Lamar song of all of them. And it's a silly question because it's so subjective, obviously. But I don't know how I got into it because I don't like this kind of thing, but I got into it. And it's probably because of Kendrick Lamar. And it's probably because of this weird thing of how hyper how the long tail effect that I talk about all the time on this podcast of how like, it's just the world is so specific now. And we used to sort of have everyone would talk about the same thing a little bit. And we'd all be sort of related to the same thing. And now instead, we're in this world where like, I just want to have this like, long form specific conversation with someone about Kendrick Lamar, especially like the the weird Eckhart Tolle angle of like the psychologist guy who's really, who Oprah really loves. Like I really want to talk about that like German psychologist angle of Kendrick Lamar. 
And it's so fucking specific that I don't know who to talk to about it. But then it's also not that specific and tens of thousands of people want to have that conversation. So two guys on a podcast are having that conversation. And it's so pleasant to get to have the con- like the very specific conversation you want to have. And then one of the ideas they were talking about was like that like Kendrick Lamar is so Kendrick Lamar, he's so woke and he's so PC and he's so good at it and he's so okay and it's so okay to like him. Even Julie Kennedy, whose name I am not allowed to say on the podcast anymore because she's gotten so mad at me so many times about saying so many things. And it was just, oh God. Okay, so hey, Julie, sue me. I'm going to talk about this one thing that you did where it's like, ugh, I'm too tired. It's so late. It's like 1.20 a.m. right now. So um, she has told me many times that I'm not allowed to talk about her on the podcast. But it's like, it's what I think about all the time. And I ruminate on stuff with her. And she's such a big part of my life and heart that I have to talk through it on the podcast. And the podcast was her idea. So you cannot take that away from me. So then she has forbidden me from talking about it. And then she sent me a candle, a grapefruit-flavored grapefruit scented candle in a LaCroix can and I was like I'll rec- I will uh, review it on the podcast and she was like well tell me I don't listen to your podcast but like tell me which episode you review it on and I will um listen to that part and then I reviewed it on episode 100 and I didn't want to tell her and then she literally asked me week- weeks later and she was like oh when did you review that candle and I was like I did it during episode 100 and then she was like <laughs> this is so stupid she was like where in the episode and I was like look it's a three hour episode I don't remember where I reviewed it so I don't know how to help you like I, I just don't listen to it you know it's three hours you don't want to listen to it and that was a lie the episode is three hours but I remembered when it was because it was the absolute first thing of all three hours you know, because I'm such a piece of shit and I felt so guilty talking about her. Because I knew that I didn't just review the candle. I also talked about her, even though she wants me to not talk about her. Because whenever I talk about her, I always retell some story between us that I have my own version of. And then she has a totally different version that she totally agrees with my version on. So that's why she doesn't want me to talk about her on the podcast. And you know what? She's right. I'm a piece of shit. And my version is so fabricated and I always fuck it up when I talk about it on the podcast. And I, <laughs> I did. it was so funny to me in my head when I was going through it. I was like so aware of what I was doing. I was like, oh yeah, you know, it's a three hour podcast. I don't remember where I talked about it, where I talked about the candle. So I'm sorry, you should probably not listen to it. And then she called me up and she was like, you talked about it right in the beginning. <laughs> And then you talked about me, and I hate that you talked about me. And so, yeah. At least this time I talk about her two hours and 35 minutes into the episode, so she won't find this this little nugget. Hey. Anyway. What was I saying? Oh, I lost track. I don't know what I was going to say. Oh, no. There was something else I was going to say. Oh, Kendler Kamar, Eckhart Tolle. Why was I reminded? Why did that remind me of Julie? The point was that these nerd boys that dissect uh, Kendrick Lamar's album, they talk. Oh, yeah, I remember now. 
Uh, sort of remember. The thing is that, like, even Julie, who is to me a the ultimate symbol of wokeness, because she's so woke, and it's so hard to be PC enough for her, and she was always so upset with me being transphobic and fatphobic and all these different things, and I'm just a guy, you know, and you believe... <laughs> Now I almost, almost accidentally veered into perfectly quoting that fucking Bo Burnham makes fun of people who, are, white guys who have podcasts who are like, you can't, you won't let me say anything anymore. You know, Bo Burnham making fun of stand-up comedians on podcasts is so cutting. It cuts so deep. And um, yeah, uh, lost track again. Yeah, so... What's fascinating about Kendrick Lamar and that whole thing, and it connects back to everything I was saying, is like, he's so woke and he's so good at it. And he, like, Auntie Diaries on the new album is such a incredibly powerful word. Like, that song literally makes the world better because it explains the plight of the trans person in this incredibly waterproof like it like you can hate woke people however much you want but you have to admit that what he's saying in that thing it's just it's also true that there's this gray area where there's people out there who have these experiences and they feel certain ways and they they just feel different and they have different feelings and they're attracted to people in a different way and they just like want to express their gender in this different way and the way he talks about it is so fucking good, bro, because all these white people are out here trying to be like, oh, but you have to respect trans people, and no one wants to listen to those white people talk about it. And then Kendrick Lamar comes in, and he just talks about it, and it's like, oh, shit. You're like, oh, shit. That was so perfect the way he did it. And he did what we couldn't do, you know? Like when Nixon went to China, you know? A Democrat president couldn't go to China because then you could be like, oh, that guy's a communist. But Nixon had the Republican credentials to go to China and make friends with the Chinese and be like, this is what we're doing now. What? I'm a Republican. What? I have the credentials to back this up. This is what we're doing now. So Kendrick Lamar has that that thing. And then he makes all these songs that are really about, on the new album, there's all these songs about... um well, domestic violence is the quick way of saying it, you know? His mom being a victim of domestic violence, um, him himself abusing his woman, not physically, but cheating on her a lot, which is, you know, a way of mistreating someone and disrespecting them. And if you do it enough, I'm sure you could call it abuse, like psychologically torturing your romantic partner by just cheating on her and she knows about it and it's fucking horrible, you know? So all these songs about how that is so evil and so problematic. And then he, there's this song, Father Time, which really um, investigates all of that. And then the next song after that is starts with Kodak Black's voice. And Kodak Black is like just famously shitty, famously beats the shit out of women, rapist, plea deals, raped all these women, horrible person. And he sounds like a horrible person. He has to voice. <laughs> like his voice is so, I don't know how to say it, street. 
He 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 sounds like just a dame. Like it's he's such a stereotype, really, because he sounds like this. Like he sounds like a dangerous black man. Kodak Black. Listen to an interview with Kodak Black and be like, "This guy sounds like he's in a different place, and you don't want to." Like he just sounds like a caricature of the black guy who if you are walking down the street and you see the apparition of Kodak Black's energy on your side of the street, you're going to walk over to the other side of the street because this guy talks different and he is like not right in the head, you know, and it's unsettling. And so people have this weird, there's this weird feeling you have when you, when there's that like Ju- I, I when I'm listening to Kenny's album, I hear Julie's voice in my head being like, "Oh, but he put Kenny, but he put Kodak on the track, and that's bad because Kodak is a piece of shit person." And it reminds me of when I was like, you know, me and Julie went to Hempfest, and I was I just it was years ago, and I just really gotten into it's silly to even say this person's name because he has such a silly name, but X X X Tentacion. I was so into Tentacion that week. I was into him for like three weeks. And I just found him to be such a musical genius. And the whole thing is just so strange and poetic. And it's so like, it's such a mix up of like emo music and really quiet music and rap and rock rap and anime. And he just like borrows so heavily from all these different things. And then I'm talking about how fucking genius I think it is. And then Julie's like, yeah, well, he beat the shit out of this woman, so you can't like him. And then I'm like, but he's dead, you know? Like, maybe him beating the shit out of women was him being from these, like, this, like, dangerous, horrible situation that eventually killed him. So maybe it's okay. Like, maybe it's okay to like the beauty of what he did, like the art that he expressed, even though he was a flawed it's so euphemistic and horrible to say a flawed character because he like maybe raped and beat the shit out of women, you know, which is the thing we aren't allowed to forgive correctly. But then there's this take in the podcast that I found so useful because it's like Eckhart Tolle, one of Eckhart Tolle's big ideas, because uh, Kendrick like use it samples his voice this fucking it's nice with a little bit of like a German German accented fucking voice talking about some highfalutin psychological uh, concepts you know which you know the prime the fucking um, Tiger Woods of doing that is Werner Herzog obviously you know Werner Herzog is it's a voice that anyone you can just you can just come up with it in your head. It's like a Trump impersonation. Like, Trump impersonations are so easy, and Werner Herzog impersonations are so easy. And so, great. like, it's so easy to do, and it's so nice to do it, because it's 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 just, it needs to be done. And, like, a German voice that just talks about weird psychological concepts is so, uh, it's a grateful thing, you know? You can just feel grateful. You do it, and you feel grateful about it all. But so, um... One Eckhart Tolle concept that is important here is the oneness of all of all consciousness. Like your consciousness is an expression of the universal, larger, all consciousness of all humanity. And that 
the consciousness of humanity is an expression of the consciousness of the entire universe. And that's very fucking abstract, but it's also true. And one of the things that you have to, that how you can apply that in your life is that when you look at your fellow man and you judge him for his sins and his flaws, you have to realize that you are judging yourself. And that makes sense in a very practical way. It just does. And it's so useful to think about that in the context of Kendrick just made one, Father Time, it's this track, it's about how we need to not let our intergenerational pain become a thing where we treat women like shit. And then that song ends, and the next voice that comes on, even before any of the instrumental comes on with the next track, is Kodak Black, who is arguably like a symbol of a shitty human being, you know? And then you have to realize that, so if I judge Kodak Black, I am really judging myself. And it's like, it's such high art, and it's so beautiful, and it's so fucking complicated and beautiful, and that is such a good argument, and it's also not high art, it's just a way for me to win an argument with Julie maybe in the future. Like, maybe in the future, Julia's going to be like, ew, you can't like this guy, you know? You can't like Baby Keem for some... I read a fucking article on Vulture about how he fucking pushed some... Slapped some lady around in an elevator once, you know? You can't like Jay-Z because he slapped fucking uh, Beyonce's sister, didn't he? Did he? I think he did. And Dr. Dre... Like, I don't know a rapper who didn't slap some woman around in an elevator, you know? And I love rap music. And I don't know what to do with that. And I'm always looking for a reason for it to be okay for me to like rap music, even though... And then Kenny comes on the track and he's like, every single rapper was sexually abused. He screams it. Oh, God, dude, that's my favorite. That's my favorite bar on that album where he's like, I see it. I know their secrets. What is it? What is the actual line? I know their secret. Every rapper sexually abused. Yeah. So, it's actually just kind of exactly what I said. It's in the song Mother I Sober, which, by the way, is the song I was listening to when I was pulled over. The one time I've been pulled over, I was listening to the song. <laughs> and it was so terrifying to get be pulled over. It was just as stressful as being in a strip club. At exactly the same kind of um, stomachache. Just physical, sharp pain in my abdomen. Stress-induced. And shivering cold, temperature cold feeling all over my body, being um, um, pulled over and in a strip club. But so I was listening to Mother I Sober when I was pulled over. So I really, uh, when I hear that song, the trauma of that comes back. But then the song is so good that it just push, like... It just comes in the room and it takes everything on the table and just shoves everything on the table and just says, listen, I know the secrets every other rapper sexually abused. It's just such a still living as victims in the public eyes who pledge allegiance. Every other brother has been compromised. I know the secrets every other rapper sexually abused. I see them daily burying the pain in chains and tattoos so listen close before you start to pass judgment on how we move. Learn how we... It's really just a Ta-Nehisi Coates idea again, but he's saying it instead of saying it in... Um, you know, it's just Ta-Nehisi Coates stuff again. Maybe Ta-Nehisi Coates was 
Uh, I mean, and he maybe he was just Baldwin. Maybe he was just repeating what Baldwin said. But either way, it's all good, you know? It's all good because it's like, it's perfect. And um, it's um, the universality of it. Yeah, I don't know. There was something I just felt like, I cannot now remember what I was saying before I started going into this album, but I was saying something about how other people are shitty and there is a oneness. And when I think other people are shitty, it's um, it's really just an expression of, of we're I'm judging another human consciousness and it's just like my consciousness. And it's like, you know, even my... Even every nemesis I have is is um, is someone that is me. And I have to end the episode now because it's 1.37 a.m. and I haven't been sleeping for days and I am deliriously tired. And uh, this has to end. This ends now. Thank you for listening and I love you. <laughs>